0: Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved.
1: Episode 632, air date May 30th, 2020.
0: Good evening, everyone. It's Dr. Shiva Ayyadurai. I It's uh, been a long time. It's been probably about three days since I've done a, a video. I've been uh, extremely busy. As many of you know, I'm running for United States Senate. It's a whole sort of another 125% of my time that goes in in addition to uh, being a scientist and uh, running a couple of companies. But uh, I've taken a little bit of a breather to really think about the events that have taken place uh, in Minneapolis and to really put it into a larger context. Many of you know that one of the goals I try to do is to really try to look at a situation and try to take a systems perspective beyond pro or anti beyond left or right, because for far too long, uh, we, as people, we as working people, we, have, we, we, as the people who create, we innovate, uh, the entrepreneurs who make a lot of risks, the small business people, all of you, um, can Richard, you want to just go see what can easily be taken advantage of, um, by, uh, a dual view of the world, unless we go down to a systems perspective. So, What I've done is, from a systems perspective, given timely-wise what's going on with the coronavirus, what occurred immediately before the coronavirus, what's occurring now, I wanna give you a definition of what I call real racism. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at the events that were taking place before the coronavirus, which I'll summarize in one of the videos I did before, then we're gonna talk about what's going on after. And my goal is by the time I'm done with this, and we'll hopefully take some calls, I want to basically elevate this conversation to really understanding what is racism and how the deep state, how those in power actually profit from it. And if we don't understand what real racism is, we're all gonna be taken advantage of. Uh, Richard's here, Richard's a good friend of mine. You know, I grew up, uh, many of you know, in India for a brief time when I was young. And then I grew up in working class neighborhoods in New Jersey among uh, people of color, uh, working class people. And Richard, where did you grow up? Cambridge. cambridge. richard grew up in cambridge in working class neighborhoods in cambridge and when we saw the events taking place with you know the cop and 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 uh uh floyd uh we had a conversation about it and richard and i think i think we converged on really an understanding what racism really is and i want to share with you my personal experience um beyond sort of the name calling people do to really go at the essence of racism before i do that um. Everyone knows I have to take a couple of minutes um, to let everyone know that I was I am running for United States Senate and our Senate run, as many of you know, in Massachusetts, is not some simple Senate run just to be a senator. Um, you know, I do not or Richard and I and ninety nine percent of the people support our campaign. We're not Kennedys. We don't come from the upper crust. We didn't go to Harvard Law School. We're not lawyers. We didn't ever want to be in electoral politics. I entered this because I feel that the lawyer lobbyist class in this country is essentially destroying all of us they were asleep while this coronavirus hoax took place they're still asleep purposefully allowing our country to be destroyed allowing a small set of people who are dependent the 0.001 percent and they want to move a lot of people onto what i call the reservation which i'll talk about i'll share with you statistics and they want the rest of us who are actually the independent thinkers Uh, you know, rebels, revolutionary minded people, small business owners, entrepreneurs, people actually build stuff, the independent class, they wanna destroy us. And that's what this is about. And as a part of that destruction, they want us squabbling among ourselves. But let me just take a few moments to just share with you um, what our campaign's been up to, where we are, so I can bring you guys up to date. Um, If people go to our website, shivaforsenate.com, everyone will notice on the upper left, it says truth, freedom and health, which is really the slogan of our campaign. And as I mentioned over and over again, this is not just a slogan. There's a lot of um, real depth to this campaign. Truth means um, actually trying to find out how to execute real science to get to real answers. And that can only come from freedom, the ability to debate, have open conversations without censorship. And as many of you know, I actually have a solution, which while everyone's whining, Uh, You know, the president's executive order, I think it's okay. I think it has a spirit, but it's not going to solve the real problem. We need to make sure the United States Postal Service, which was meant to be really the backbone of the First Amendment, um, brings itself up to the 21st century and starts providing us digital platforms like they did with the Postal Service and the digital world, email, YouTube, Facebook. It's the only way we can have real protection of our um, uh, digital rights. The truth is going to only going to come when we start practicing citizen science. And if you want over the calls, we can talk about that. But academia now practices fake science. And then health is our ability to really uh, take on real problems and uh, identify real problems and real solutions for our health. So when it comes to health, the real essence here is to boost the immune system. That's what we need to do. Not focus on mandated vaccines or quote unquote vaccine safety, like these foolish people on the Um, you know, regulatory side like the Kennedy clan want to do, the Kennedy Clinton clan want to do, to use the government to actually in a different way mandate to us how, what's going to happen to our bodies. But ultimately we need truth, freedom and health. So everyone should go uh, to the website and check that out. Um, Those of you, um, if you have friends, please have them go and volunteer. If you're in Massachusetts, volunteer to be part of our campaign. If you're outside of Massachusetts, tell people to volunteer. They can literally go to the site sign up as a volunteer, um, or what they can do is they can also, if you're in Massachusetts, you can go pick up lawn signs. We give away lawn signs. These are all the volunteers all across Massachusetts and some amazing movement, people coming bottoms up. Uh, you can get lawn signs and bumper stickers. Those of you who are outside of Massachusetts can also take advantage of this. But one of the most important things that everyone can take advantage of, if you're in Massachusetts or outside, if you support the campaign, whatever you get, 5, 10, 25, Um, The recommended amount is if you give 25, I want to teach everyone how to think from a system standpoint. This ebook System and Revolution, will give you the fundamentals of how to look at the world from a system standpoint. It's sort of 40 to 50 years of knowledge. Uh, It's sort of the Bible of systems thinking. What is a system? How to think about it? And then I give you a tool called Your Body, Your System, which I'll walk you through, which really allows you to use those principles to understand your body as a system to understand your immune system, what are the inputs, what are the outputs, who you are as a system different from others. One size does not fit all. So you can find the right inputs for you. From And again, it's to teach you about systems. Um, those of you outside of the United States, you can go directly to yourbodyyoursystem.com and get it. You cannot donate to a federal campaign if you're inside a Mass. but if you guys wanna get that, you can go there. But those of you in, in, in Massachusetts, you can get it as a part of donating, but the tool really, gives you systems theory. And systems theory basically says there's three forces in the universe, transport, conversion, and storage of energy. And when you answer these questions, this red dot symbolizes your system, which is your body type. And the black dot, you answer this different set of questions, will tell you how you're deviating from you. And then you can use the tool to really figure out how to manipulate inputs, like just food and exercise and supplements to bring you back to you, okay? So it's really a laboratory to take the principles that are in uh, in, in the Your Body in, in the in the System and Revolution book and use it to apply to yourselves. My goal is to really be a hum- humble catalyst to enable you to become leaders. We want all of you to be leaders. System and Revolution is really the Bible, and this is really the a toolkit that everyone should use. So if you're in in the United States, uh, this is the way you can support the campaign, support yourself. And by the way, if you're in economic distress, you can't uh, support 25 donate, whatever you can, okay? So that's just something I wanted to share with you, which I always do, as many of you know, in the beginning of this talk. But the heart of today's talk is really to talk about racism. First of all, what is racism? And I believe what I'm gonna share with you today is a definition that you typically do not hear. And the reason you don't hear that is for far too long, the definition of racism has been owned by the multi-racial aristocracy of the liberal elite, the Obamas, the Clintons, the Elizabeth Warrens, the professors at Harvard who think they know what racism is. And the reason that's occurred is the so-called right denies that racism is occurring. Like if you say, hey, wait a minute, that person was racist, they say, oh, you're just saying something, Shiva. You're just saying racism. Racism doesn't exist in America. So because of the obliviousness and the stupidity of the quote-unquote right, the quote-unquote left takes advantage of that vacuum and has given their definition of racism, which is a very narrow, superficial definition, and they pound it into everyone, and that's why the right wants to say there is no racism because it's based on the left's definition so that we're caught in this vicious cycle. But today you're gonna hear from someone who's been fortunate In some ways, I've had a very interesting life because I grew up in India in the caste system of India, which was sort of racism on steroids. And then I grew up in New Jersey in predominantly African American neighborhoods in, um, uh, you know, Patterson, New Jersey, and then working class, white working class neighborhoods in Clifton and Persephone. Um, And then in very wealthy, in the last two, three years of my high school, one of the wealthiest neighborhoods, uh, predominantly all Jewish people in uh, Livingston, New Jersey. okay, And then I went to MIT, which is an eclectic crowd. So I believe I have a different type of journey that gives a perspective and hopefully a depth. And after uh, we talk, uh, we'll take phone calls because I want to have a conversation on this matter. OK, so let me begin by I put together a little presentation uh, uh, like I like to do to really share what I want to talk about today. So let me bring this up. And let me share my screen so you guys can all see what I'm talking about. Um, First go here. There we go. And as I'm bringing this up, what I want to start with is really obviously everyone uh, is seeing what's going on in Minneapolis. You know, by now, everyone is I was one of my uh, I I do business. uh, Some of you know, one of my um, attorneys is actually in Minneapolis and I was asking her what's going on. She said she hasn't really been out of her house and she lives right in Minneapolis. But let me start by really looking at this picture right here. Everyone remembers, if you saw it on TV, it's a video that's been out. It's a picture of the policeman putting his knee on um, you know, uh, George Floyd. And it's a very powerful image, but what I find interesting is that people were filming it. I found it sort of interesting, no one said anything and went up and tried to stop them, which is another whole discussion we should have. But this image was quite extraordinary because this was happening, people were filming it. And obviously um, what we find out later is uh, George Floyd died. But it's a very powerful image because it's literally of someone pushing their knee to someone's neck, it's about total oppression. And obviously there's news out on the internet, which is a whole nother discussion, whether this was staged, whether this was real. um, And that's probably gonna be a whole different parallel discussion. But nonetheless, the image is quite powerful that we see here about, um, and it's an image of a white police officer putting his neck on a uh, person of color, an African American black uh, person in the neighborhood, George Floyd. Okay, so I want to sort of you know tease this out and talk a little bit about something that some of you may know. There's a there's an organization called Gallup, the Gallup Poll Company. They basically poll. If you go to Gallup.com, you can see that they poll on typically all sorts of things. Um, they poll on you know, pets, you know, how many households people have. They do census polling, they do voter polling, which many people of you know, you know, during the elections. But they poll on a lot of different topics. And every week, actually, they poll on the top things that's on the mind of Americans, economic and non economic. And for probably the last 36 months, you'll see some interesting pattern, which I want to share with you, but it's the Gallup Poll Organization. And you'll see, by the way, this is, uh, I went back to November 2019, December, January, February, March, April, May. Uh, Let me just make sure I'm sharing this first of all. Sorry about that. So let me make it big so you can see here. Um, What you can see here is uh, these are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So I'm looking at seven months. And these are economic problems that they're identifying. This is basically they do calls to households to figure out what Americans have on their mind. Okay, And what you see here, the number one issue Americans are thinking about is economy in general. Um, unemployment, and the gap between the poor and the rich. Those are the three top issues. And they've been pretty much the same for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight months, okay? Now, when you go to the non-economic issues, what you'll find is coronavirus starting in March, obviously took the number one issue. Number two was government slash poor leadership, which has been number two. And number three, which used to be number two, has always been race relations, okay? So this um, number two or number three has never changed. So the point being that Americans, um, according to the Gallup poll, and you can look at that poll, it goes back almost 36, 48 months. Race has always been either one or two, typically number two. and Never number three, but it's stayed a hard number two, which means we as Americans care about race and race relations. But the reality is we never seem to get to real resolution. And this is when I talk about truth, freedom and health. If we have the freedom to really have a conversation, open debate, we can really get to the truth of it and we can identify what the real issues, what is real racism and what is the real problem? What's the real solution? But the establishment never wants us to get to the true essence of racism. They wanna say it doesn't exist or if it does exist, we'll talk about how they define it, okay? So, but the the main point I wanted you to take away from this Gallup poll is, that it's been consistently there. It's a big issue in all of our minds. Now let's go to BC. It's my new definition, not before Christ, but before coronavirus. So what was going on before coronavirus? And I want you guys to look at this carefully because we forget, if you go back to November, November, which is about, what is it, six months ago? December, January, February, March, April, May. Wow, six months have passed by. But if you go back to six months ago, this comes right from, VOA news and you can see right before in November there was protests taking place all over the world all over the world you can see right here in over 16 countries and I want to summarize and there's protests taking place all over the world you have protests up here in China and Hong Kong you have protests down in Indonesia you have uh, protests I'm sorry up in uh, uh, parts of uh, Russia over here you you I'm sorry uh, uh, China you have protests all over Latin America, you have protests over here in the Caribbean, Um, you have protests pretty much everywhere, all over Europe, Africa, etc. And this is just a summary of them. For example, in Algeria, you know, there was massive protests, 3 million protesters were out there because of the complete uh, corruption that was taking place. uh, The president was trying to get a fifth term, okay? He was trying to get, stay in power over and over again. In Bolivia, um, there were massive protests where people were killed because people felt that there was election fraud, again, corruption. And over here in Chile, there were protests in Santiago, if you remember, about income inequality and people wanted better health care, more money for education. In Colombia, again, there were protests beginning in November on me- over many, many issues, corruption, killing of human rights. Again, e- economy being a call, uh, nearly a quarter of a million people came, three people were killed there. Uh, Czech Republic, 200,000 people pro- were protesting in Prague, you know, over the allegations of fraud. Again, if you look at the common theme, it's economy or government corruption. Ecuador, again, uh, massive protests against Moreno's austerity measures. And you'll see that the economy was essentially really, really getting on the global uh, working people all over the world. And you had indigenous groups protesting And then in Egypt, you again have protests which had settled down. 4,000 people, including journalists, uh, were arrested. Again, uh, top officials accused of using personal and public funds. Again, the elite defrauding the public. That's one of the common themes here. In France, if you remember, thousands were protesting because of the stagnant wages, rising prices, and and income inequality. And 145 people were arrested. And then Haiti, you may forget, right in Haiti, on this side of the hemisphere, people were um, demanded that... Uh, the corrupt uh, officials be prosecuted. And in Hong Kong, obviously, there were 2 million people protesting. They're protesting again. We also, one of the things is in Wuhan, there were protests against corruption and the pollution that was taking place. In Indonesia, again, major cities were protesting. Again, you see, against the weakening of the Corruption Eradication Commission. Um, and then in Iran, you can over also see here, Iran, massive protests there. Um, uh, 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 across 50% increase in gasoline prices as a result of the embargo. And in Iraq, there's been anti-corruption protests all over. And then you can also look in Lebanon. Throughout the country, people are demanding an end to corruption, a call for a new government um, made entirely of technocrats or non-politicians, which is very interesting. They wanted to get rid of all the lawyers and lobbyists. In Russia, again, there were unapproved "quote unquote" protests, 1,500 protests were Um, arrested, and they again were, these were opposition candidates, and in Spain, pro-independence demonstrators in Catalonia. That's been going on for a long time. So the net of what I wanted to share with you is that when you really look at this, before BC, before coronavirus, there was massive, massive uprising, at least 16, and we missed South Africa, right? We forgot about South Africa. Uh, Venezuela, I, I left that out of there. Massive protests going on all over the world, at least 20 protests, massive, against government corruption, against this economy, which was essentially starting to fail globally. And as I mentioned in my previous talk, that in September of last year, the repo, the repurchase agreement among banks, the rates, the interest rates shot up to 10% when they should be only one to 2%. Bottom line, the fake economy of the elites was essentially should have crashed in 2008 and it's been kept afloat. So as I argued there, the coronavirus was an amazing way to keep interest rates low for the elites, to transfer wealth to them, which I'm going to talk about, while suppressing working people in this country, small business owners, restaurant owners, er- everyday people like you and us. Okay, that's why you know our campaign for U.S. Senate is a bottoms-up campaign. We don't care about the mainstream media. We're never looking for them to cover us. We don't care for the left Democrats. We will expose the Kennedys because they're the most... Elite part of this system, which uh, essentially takes advantage of people year in and year out, are the Elizabeth Warrens or the Clintons or the Bernie Sanders, the not so obvious establishment. So, but just want to keep level set that before coronavirus, massive protests all over the world against corruption, against the lawyer lobbyists. Let's not forget that. Okay. Now, let's look at what happened after coronavirus. Okay. That's what I want to talk about. Now, also, one of the things I want to talk about is that was globally. OK, I, I missed one thing. What was taking place in the United States before the coronavirus? Let's just look at that. And this was a report that came out in May 2019, one year ago, talking about the economic well-being of U.S. households, you know, looking one year back because it takes them about a year to get all the data. This is what they found. Forty percent of Americans, 40 percent. of Americans don't have $400 in the bank for emergency expenses. That's according to the Federal Reserve. So just think about that. 40% of Americans don't have $400 in their savings account for emergency expenses. Think about that. That is a state of the American working people. They don't, people in this country, 40%, that's a lot of people, don't even have, um, $400 in in case of an emergency, okay? So this was before coronavirus. Let me share with you another statistic here, all right? Um, A $1,000 emergency would push many Americans into debt, which means, and this is a number on that, 70% of Americans have less than $1,000 in a savings account. Now, and look at how rapidly it's changed. In 2017, 57% of respondents said so they had less than a thousand bucks, okay? And that percentage edged up slightly to 58% in 2018. But think about it. It went from 58% in 2018 in, in, in one year to 70%. That's massive. That's nearly, a what, a 20% increase, okay? So that's a 20% increase. So just cogitate on that or think about that a little bit. 40% of Americans uh, in the United States have less than 400 bucks in their savings account and about 70% of people. So you have 70%, right? There's another 30% above that, but of that within that 70, 40% have less than 400 and 70% of less than a thousand. So 30% have more than a thousand, but 70% of more, more than a super majority have less than a thousand bucks. This is before coronavirus. Okay. So, Um, let's look at after coronavirus. And before I do that, I want to share with you, as I promise, a definition of racism that we can have a discussion on. Because for far too long, the liberal, white, black, brown, Oprah Winfrey's, Barack Obama's, whoever you want to put in there, aristocracy has controlled the discourse on racism on the so-called left. And frankly, The very naive or maybe, quote unquote, racist right or racist left. I call them both racist among the establishment has said, oh, racism doesn't exist. So that's what I wanted to sort of walk you through here. So on the one hand, you have the right, quote unquote, right. I put double quotes. okay says race doesn't exist. And the left says their definition. The So because the the right is very, very stupid about this, uh, the left uses that stupidity to uh Uh, that vacuum to define what racism is. Elizabeth Warren's or the Barack Obama's and what they've done uh, after civil rights, which by the way, civil rights never really solved fundamentally anything because the people like the Kennedys brought in people like Martin Luther King as their, you know, their anointed one. They never built the civil rights movement, never built infrastructure bottoms up in inner cities for blacks and whites and Hillbillies and poor people everywhere. What they did was they anointed Martin Luther King. They imposed him as the high I have the dream. That was a great speech, etc. But they never solved the fundamental issues. And their view of we've solved racism is okay, no one uses the n-word anymore. Great. And we all have affirmative action. Would actually pitted poor blacks against poor whites. That was what the liberal aristocracy did. They define racism by, you know, these two, you know, two sides of a wall. Don't use the n-word. And this is sort of the, the the what they really simplified it to. And if you're for affirmative action, then you're not a racist, okay? Let me tell you on a personal note, you know, when I grew up in, in India, uh, you know, there was a caste system. We were considered the bottom of the bottom, the deplorables or the untouchables on the bottom. My family was supposed to be coconut pickers, boxed into particular roles. That's what the caste system did. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for donating to the campaign. And so, by the way, Uh, Jennifer, thank you, but please take advantage of the book, learn about systems, use your body, your system. Everyone, please go to Shiva for Senate, get those tools because I want everyone to become leaders in systems thinking. But anyway, so when I grew up in India, there was a caste system and the racism, the hyper racism, my experience was bucketing everyone. Oh, you're from that caste. You guys are supposed to pick coconuts. You get water given to you in a different cup. When I came to the United States, I settled in Patterson, New Jersey, completely segregated pretty much all black people. And what I experienced there was American segregation this is the 1970 Vietnam War still going on. You have sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And then I went to Clifton, which was a great city, a lot of uh, working class people I learned a lot of stuff from. And I used to be called Smokey, the N-word, Darky. But I gotta tell you, I never considered that racism. Some people, maybe it's lowercase racism, I just thought that was ignorance, okay? I remember being uh, in second grade, And my second grade teacher put me in front of the class because I was the Indian kid. And they wanted to hear stories about how I grew up in India, how behind my house were snakes and mango trees and parrots and they all got excited. You know, they were intrigued because I was a new guy. And when I used to pitch, like I said, they used to call me Smokey. I threw a pretty fast ball, but I was also dark, okay? Uh, But I never considered that racism, okay? When I experienced racism is actually after I came to MIT. And I'm going to talk about that among the liberal elites, because the true racists are the people right over at MIT and Harvard who actually manufacture racism against all of us to keep us split. I'm going to talk about that. All right. It's not the young white boy, you know, Richard, who grows up in Cambridge, frankly, you have know, talk about this, right? right? Who may say some words or you, 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 you whatever, you know, you have your that's not racism. A lot of that comes from the ignorance that's put onto people to basically keep people like us separated, right? Not us unifying. Our campaign, by the way, is an amazing campaign. I mean, we have people of all races, a lot of white people, right? White working class people support my campaign. In fact, nearly 80% of the people who voted for me were the American working class because they see me as one of them. And those people in power want to separate us. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But I just want to tell you on a personal note, when I was growing up in Jersey, people called me, I never thought about that as racism. I did see what happened in India, the caste system where they put me in little boxes. That was definitely racist. People calling me names, hey, I could take that. That wasn't racist. But I'm going to talk about what real racism is so we all get what real racism is and who are the real racists, because there are racists. The right doesn't get it right, and the left doesn't get it right. So we're going to talk about that, and hopefully uh, we can go deep into this. So, by the way, in the midst of all of this stuff against diversity and inclusivity, this is an article that came out in Time, you know, uh, Bussing ended 20 years ago, and it says, this was in 2019, okay, uh, in 1991, it says 20 years, the schools are still segregated. So this is even after all the Obamas and the Clintons and the Jimmy Car- and all these people there's still segregation. In fact, there are articles, you'll see the neighborhoods are even more segregated. And by the way, the segregation I'm talking about isn't a multi-racial aristocracy. It's gated neighborhoods, exactly. The elites also been controlling history too, exactly. And we're gonna talk about that. So, you know, it's not like all of this ended, but what I wanna talk to you about is the racism of putting people in boxes. That's what this is about. That's what this diagram here is about. The racism I'm gonna talk to you about is real segregation, the real racism that takes place. Um, Thank you, I love what you're saying. You're making such a very important point. People don't get this stuff, keep it up. Thanks, David. So we're gonna talk about what is real racism. Real racism is putting people in boxes. And when you step out of that box, they pound you, they lynch you to get back into that box. And again, I can share with you personally and hopefully during the calls, We can have a more deeper discussion. That's what racism is. So if you happen to be a certain color, you're supposed to be like this way. If you happen to be look like this, you should behave like this. And if you step out of your box, we're going to slam you back in your box. And one of the biggest perpetrators of this is a deep state elite, which includes their Muppets of Hollywood. Okay, that's how they get these things built in. And they pound it into all of us. And it's very, very seductive. So I'm gonna share with you some of those. Some of them are funny, but some of them, frankly, I think they tell the truth. So if you look at this here, for example, let me put this up here. Um, You will see here, these are the boxes. Everyone's seen this, you know, blonde jokes, okay? Um, Dumb blonde jokes, dirty blonde jokes. And these are books like this out there. And basically one stereotype is if a woman is a blonde and she looks a certain way, she surely can't be a scientist or she can't be this. She is only suited for certain roles, right? That's one type of putting people in a box. Okay, in me, in my view, that's a form of racism. What do you think, Richard? It's a form of racism, and this is why um, people, uh, you know, white working class people, they that's why the, the this race definition gets really confusing. We're talking about that, right? Yeah. Because because if it's just black and white, we we lose the essence of who's doing this. Okay. So let me go. So this is something that happens. You know. Um, Look, when I when I was at MIT, there was this uh, a friend of mine, one of my fraternity brothers. He came from the South. Great looking guy. He played sports. You know, he was a star ski player, spoke very slow from the South. People thought this guy's stupid. He's from the South. Well, guess what? He ended up getting his M.D., his Ph.D., and he is one of the leading guys in the world on research research. In uh, you know uh, neuroimmunology, okay, but people are taught with these certain scripts. You must you talk like this and you look like this. You must be this. Anyway, uh, that's an example of it. Um, this is a thing that people have always seen, okay? African American people all eat watermelon, right? Or the Al Jolson thing, and this is where people paint their faces black. But th- these are two things that are pounded into us from the time we're born, right? These are symbols of. African American, and obviously we've seen this, right? People making fun of uh, Asian Americans, or everyone who's Chinese must be a kung fu fighter, right? Almost, almost <laughs> do kung fu seriously, um, or you know, rednecks, right? You know, the Joe Dirt movie, or if you are, or if you are uh, one one of our volunteers, um, Jeremy, you know. He says, you know, everyone thinks I'm a redneck. Everyone thinks, you know, I I must be a Klansman. And and that has also been put in, you look a certain way, you must, you know, also be a member of the KKK, right? You surely can't be white from the South and care about others. And this has also been pounded into people on uh, the racism against white people. And, you know, as an Indian, I can share with you, you know, all Indians must work in convenience stores, right? Or Apu. And I think they took this character off, okay? Which was sort of unfortunate because it was—it's almost a reverse form of racism, in my view. Okay, um, or you know, either it's this image or it's a Taj Mahal, and everyone in India must meditate, and you must move your head right to in the left to right, um, etc. And then there's also the symbol of what does it mean that you're a smart person, right? If you're smart, you must look all screwed up, looking all unhealthy, looking sort of ugly with your pocket protector. That makes you intelligent. And that image is one of this, uh, you know, uh, right here. And this very stupid guy, who, by the way, knows not very little about science, this idiot. Um, you know, he believes climate change is taking place. He believes CO2 is a pollutant. And the, I mean, there's not that much difference between this these two fools here, okay? But this is an image that's put forward, okay? So I want to share Then I want to share with you something personal. I've talked about this. But the images that I just shared with you Um, are images that are burned into us. What is it? What does a black person look like? How do they behave? What does a Chinese person look like? How do they behave? What does a smart person look like? Okay. And if you step out of those bounds, you are not allowed to do that. Okay. If you do that, you must be shoved back. You must be lynched back, back onto the plantation. And What I experienced in 2012 and 11 was that. I didn't experience that growing up in Clifton, in, um, you know, in Persephone, in, 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 in Patterson, but I did experience that in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 2011 and 12. Some of you may know, you know, as a 14 year old kid, when I was growing up in Newark, New Jersey, I was working as a research fellow in um, Newark, New Jersey. I worked very hard as a 14 year old kid. I was doing research on sudden infant death syndrome. And while I was working there, I was given another task. As a 14-year-old, I was treated as an equal by my, quote, unquote, white scientist counterparts. They didn't treat me differently in Newark. And I was asked to convert. Some of you may remember in the 1970s and 78, every in all these offices was always a secretary woman. She had the inbox, outbox, of folders. She had this thing called the inner office. Mail system. She had a typewriter. She'd write this thing called a memo to from subject with a carbon paper. They would put it in these envelopes. This was the inter-office mail system. If you were going to hire someone, you'd write a memo, you'd you'd attach their resume with a paper clip, you'd make carbon copies, you'd put it in these inner office things, you would send it out through these pneumatic tubes. This was the interoffice office mail system of the 1970s. As a 14-year-old kid, I was given the challenge of converting this entire system to the electronic version. As a 14-year-old kid working in Newark, I I was, um, uh, I I think I've been in this country seven years, I converted that entire system in 50,000 lines of code. And we're not talking simple text messaging. And the racist Wikipedia will come to them, one of the most racist organizations in the world. Um, We'll come back to them. But I converted that entire system to the electronic version and every feature, inbox, outbox, folders, blind carbon copy, attachment. And I called that system email. So not only did I write all the code, I named that system email because the operating system only allowed five characters. And there it is email, this is in the Smithsonian. And then here it, here it is documented when my teachers came to witness it. And this came out in the local newspaper in 1980. And not only that, when I went to MIT, the president of MIT told me, Shiva, it's too bad you can't patent software, but you can copyright it. Patent laws had not caught up. So by myself, I didn't have parents like Bill Gates's father, who was a lawyer. I did it on my own. I got the first U.S. copyright. There it is. Officially recognizing me as the inventor of email. There you go. So by the time I was 17, I wrote, had written all the code, called an email and have the copyright. There is no controversy here. Now, the point was I was brought up to be a good, humble Indian kid and not promote this. When I came to MIT, it was on the front page in 81. And I said, wow, that's cool. They're honoring me. But I didn't think a lot about it because I wanted to be going to medicine. What ended up happening was about 33 years later, in 2011, my dear mom was dying of a horrible disease called pulmonary fibrosis. And uh, a few months before she died, around uh, October of 2011, she gave me a suitcase. And she had beautifully organized all of my work from 1978, all the code, all, my, uh, all the paraphernalia, clearly showing that I invented the first email system. The editor of Time Magazine, by the way, the only editor, journalist to go through all my materials, look through all of it, meticulously, and he wrote an article called The Man Who Invented Email. This is November 11, 2011. Now, you would think this should be a great opportunity to celebrate the American dream. I came as a low caste kid from India, went through the working class towns of New Jersey, and in Newark, New Jersey, I invented email. Well, this was a beautiful article that came out. And after that, the Smithsonian contacted me in 2012, and there was an honoring ceremony held in February 16th, the day after Valentine's Day, and it went into the Smithsonian. And this article came out. After this, the proverbial, as I like to say, the proverbial shit hit the fan. And the shit hit the fan, not by working class people like Richard, but by the liberal, multiracial aristocracy of liberal elites who were so pissed off. And, And what they did was unleashed hell on the truth. So this article comes out, calling me an imposter in Gizmodo. And it said, I had to raise an asshole, just making up lies, right? Loon, and then they went on to articles like this came out. I want everyone to read this. It says, what a fucking shameless cretin. He should be hanged by his curry stained fingernails as he shouts, let me down, Sahib. This is not in 1940. This is in 2012, written against a guy who busted his butt Four degrees from MIT, won every award. And by the way, before this, I was on the front page of MIT for creating many things. And I want everyone to look at this, read it. This did not occur by a white cop in Minneapolis. This occurred by these guys, an elite group of so-called historians who had already written the history of email before this stuff went into the Smithsonian that a nerd-looking guy had done it, when all he did was did 15 minutes of work to simply attach text to the bottom of a file, which he didn't even call email. It was not email. They had already written the narrative of email that it came from the big military industrial complex. When this went in, it was like a new skull was found in Africa and they had to destroy it for many reasons, which we'll talk about when we talk about what real racism is. And the organization behind this attack on me, this organization was partnered with this organization, Raytheon one of the biggest missile defense companies in the world. And a few years before my stuff went to the Smithsonian, they had bought this company, BBNN, which had this nerd looking fellow who didn't do jack. He didn't invent email, he simply added 15 lines of code to attach text to the bottom of the file, which could be a caveman version of Reddit. They had branded themselves in 2010 as the inventors of email using his name because they wanted to get into the cybersecurity market. Right when my stuff went in the Smithsonian, the economic interests were destroyed. Wait a minute, if email was done by a 14-year-old dark-skinned Indian guy in Newark, New Jersey, that blows a lid off our narrative that all great innovations must come from the elite in the military industrial complex. So what you see is these people, in fact, as I had to start defending myself, we found this article written by this guy who I call David Crock of shit. This guy is one of these people who was attacking me, Richard. And he was writing oh this guy didn't invent anything well he forgot in December of 1977 six months before I began inventing email he had written this article in a very famous article talking about electronic messaging and what he said it was at this time no attempt is being made to emulate a full-scale interorganizational organizational mail system the fact that the system is intended for use in various organizational contexts and by users of differing expertise makes it almost impossible to build a system which responds to all users' needs. This nerd, very dumb nerd, frankly, didn't think email was possible. Okay? By because he thought these secretaries couldn't use a computer, but I didn't. As a working class kid in Newark, I didn't demean this, those secretaries. I thought as my partners, and I, I knew I could create something, and that was the invention of email. Now let me talk to you about racism. By the way, Noam Chomsky, one of my mentors, I don't agree with everything Noam says, but Noam took a principal stand and he looked, he's one of the noted intellectuals of, of our time. He said, look, email was invented in 1978 by a 14 year old working in Newark, New Jersey. The facts are black and white, okay? There's his article, no pun intended, okay? Are indisputable. In fact, if you read the article, he it said it's black and white. All right, so now what I wanna talk about is, now I'm gonna to talk to you about racism. In the middle of that controversy in 2012 to 15, by the way, I sued Gizmodo and I won a million dollar lawsuit. They were forced to take down those articles. a big victory, which Wikipedia doesn't want to talk about. Wikipedia is one of the most racist organizations. Anyone listening should not give one penny to them. They They have not put the Time Magazine article. They've locked my page because it goes against their elitist racist narrative. So don't give one freaking penny to Wikipedia. And you should go look at their history of their guy who founded it. But let me bring you back to racism. In the middle of this controversy in 2012, and it's so obvious I invented email, Walter Isaacson, who is, by the way, one of the liberal elites, head of the Aspen Institute, all the rich multiracial aristocracy of the Obamas and all the black, white, brown liberals go there, out in Aspen, ski, bang each other, whatever the hell they do, okay? Seriously, you know, um, Walter Isaacson, who wrote the book on Steve Jobs, he writes this book in the middle of this controversy. It's called Innovators of the Digital Revolution. Everyone see this? Now I'm going to walk you through this. This is in the middle of this controversy, Richard, in 2014. What do you see here? These are the innovators of the digital revolution. What do you see? But, but no, it's better better than that. One white woman. Okay? So according to Walter Isaacson, who there's no people of color, there's no brown people, no, no one who contributed to the digital revolution. And I invented the first email. He doesn't even want to talk about email because it would expose the fake inventor of email. This is racism. And let me tell you why. Not because it's against this skin color. It's deeper than that. It is against skin, but it's deeper than that. And who he attributes to the invention of all great things is this guy. He was a former president of MIT, Vannevar Bush, who's a guy who created Raytheon. And in Isaacson's book, he says that all great innovations come from the military academic industrial complex, which means a triangle of the big military, big academia, and big corporations. And in that triangle, these are those people, by the way, just to be clear, I'll read you something that one of my mentors wrote, Dr. Michelson. You see, when I was at MIT, it was great. Dark skinned Indian guy, I was on the front page of MIT, people can go research for inventing many things, winning many awards, Richard and those of you know. But when this story came out in 2012, and I was not willing to walk away saying, no, no, yeah, I did invent email. This image for that liberal aristocracy of that brown skinned Indian kid in Newark, New Jersey, work doesn't fit the narrative. You see, I'm not part of that, that club anymore. And by the way, this also included at one point a guy like Philo Farnsworth, a white kid in Franklin, Idaho, who invented TV. Exactly. So the issue is all great innovations must come from the elites, and it surely cannot come from this image. Okay? And that's what I mean. What I'm talking about is this is about keeping people in boxes. You see, good Indian guy, does well. Yeah, he can be, when I'm at MIT, you'll see I was on the front page of technology review when I created Echo Mail. Front page when I won the Fulbright. Front page for inventing. But when I said that I invented email before I came to MIT, then you have to unleash the racist hellhole. And racism I'm talking about there is I was no longer in their box. You know, Indian guys are supposed to spin their head, you know, be good, and not be bad Indians. I was not willing to be a good Indian and say, no, 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 I did invent email. And I want to read you before I go to bring this thing back, I want to read you something that, um, by the way, if anyone wants to go to a great website where we documented all this, I'm going to share the screen here. People should go, if you want to go to whoinventedemail.com, site that we created after we won, who invented email.com okay it's a site off of the inventor of email type in who invented email.com and if you go to that site it's a great site it is very easy for anyone who wants to question the facts about the invention of email i encourage you to go there go to this site and it really says what is email and it says and you can go read it but one of the documents has got all the facts about the six facts of email what is email it's not the simple exchange of text messages they thought it impossible, I created it. This nerd over here didn't invent email, didn't really do much, frankly, okay? And, and these are all testimonials from some of the leading people who've looked at all the records, you should go see this. But one of the important documents that it's here is written by my mentor, Dr. Michael, it's called, uh, I'm sorry, it's not this one, let me go back. It's, um, it's this document here. It's called The Invention of Email in Newark, New Jersey. And I wanna read you this There's you can read the abstract. It's very well written. Okay, and let me blow it up here a little bit. Okay, it says the invention of email in Newark, New Jersey, reveals fundamental truths about the nature of innovation and exposes a quote unquote histories and propaganda of the golden triangle of the military industrial complex, whose multi trillion dollar brand advertises itself as a source of all revolutionary innovations. All right. That's what it says, that they are the source of all things. Big academia, big military, big industry. Such propaganda are constructed and packaged by those consecrated as historians, quote unquote, who hone this branding to brainwash humanity that war brings good things to life. The cabal anoints and exalts its innovators, predominantly whites, like you saw in that book, and a few persons of color who pledge to its hegemony of innovation. The indisputable facts of the invention of email, in 1978, by Shiva Adre a 14-year-old dark-skinned lower caste Indian immigrant prodigy working as a research scholar at the University of Medicine and Dentistry in Newark, New Jersey, defies such histories. The boy's invention, the first electronic system replicating the complex and myriad function of the inner office inter-organizational paper-based mail system, inbox, outbox, memo, address book, et cetera, which he named email, was the first to do, by the way, was motivated by his desire to create and to do the quote-unquote impossible. Email was invented, and everyone should listen to this, to digitize the entire system of civilian office communications and not just to exchange text messages reliably for military battlefield communications. Email was the first end-user software application that made the digital revolution accessible to ordinary people who had never experienced a computer, keyboard, or terminal. Ayadure's evolution as an inventor and scientist continued far beyond email to his completing four degrees at MIT receiving acclaim, worldwide acclaim, and being exalted as an innovator during his 33 years at MIT while within their triangle. This is what I want people to understand. When I was at MIT, I won all sorts of awards. I was a good Indian then. He served their needs as a penultimate ambassador and quote unquote model minority to enhance their, meaning MIT's image of inclusivity, diversity, and equality. However, when the Smithsonian requested and obtained artifacts documenting email's origin in 78, in Newark on February 16, 2012. And when Ayadurai accepted this great American honor, he unwittingly pitted himself against their brand, which means the brand of the military industrial complex. You get that? The cabal, the deep state cabal in this case, unleashed disinformation, claiming email was created before 78. When these claims were debunked and Ayadurai continued sharing facts, the attacks escalated to a public lynching, revealing an insidious side of racism. And I really want everyone to listen to this. This, if you can get this, you will really understand at a deep, deep level what racism is. Okay. So I want everyone to get this. Okay. Let me see if I'm on that. Um, I think I'm, uh, uh, let me, I think I'm sharing the wrong screen. One second. Let me share the right screen here so you can see this because I want people to really get this. Okay. So this is what it says. The cabal, when these claims were debunked and Ayodray continued sharing facts, the, es, the attacks escalated to a public lynching, revealing an insidious side of racism, which exalts persons of color when needed. Means, you know, and expels and annihilates them when they challenge false histories and propaganda. Email did emerge from a collaboration, but not from their triangle, which is of the military-industrial complex, but organically in a local An indigenous ecosystem of a small medical college where a brilliant young boy, committed teachers, a loving family, and a dedicated mentor solved the civilian problem, exemplifying countless other innovations across millennia, inspired to advance life, not retrofitted from technologies intended to maim and kill, which is war. Such histories are deliberately not documented to perpetuate lies that war is good and to mask its rapacious profits. Documenting the invention of email in Newark, New Jersey, therefore, is a historical imperative towards breaking this diabolical trance to reveal a fundamental truth. Innovation can occur anytime, place, by anybody, and war and profit are not its necessary and required impetus. This is the truth. OK, and what I want to share with you is from a very personal note is there is no question where email was invented. The issue is why was there a controversy? And that brings you down to the fact that as long I was within their box of an MIT grad, not, you know, I was an activist at MIT, don't get me wrong. But when I challenge the MIT brand, you see what I'm saying, Richard, where innovation comes from, that becomes destructive. I hope everyone's understanding that. Richard, can you raise that light just a little bit? Just a little bit, so it gets a little bit, right? Just a little bit, Richard. No, no, not raise it. The, the just a little bit more, great. So that is what I'm talking about. I went outside of their box. So go back to what I was saying here. If we go back to our PowerPoint here, this is what we want to think about. They, racism is about keeping people in your box. You're a blonde where you're supposed to be able like this. You're supposed to be this or sexy or this. You should be good for being a model. You're a guy who has a beard and you're from the South. You must you know, be a Klansman, right? You know, Chinese, you must know Kung Fu, right? So on, you're an Indian guy, tilt your head, you can be a good software engineer, but surely you can't be an innovator, whatever it is. But it's about keeping us fighting among us. It's about the, the, the left imposes regulations on us. So the right can create monopolies, big tech, big pharma, big academia, big media, and, the, and no competition, they create a fake economy. I hope people are getting this. This is done by the elites. They wanna keep us in nice little boxes. That's racism, goes beyond black or white. Just so happens a skin color gets involved here, okay? Also remember that African uh, kings were the first slave owners, okay? So it's color, but you have to look at it in the bigger context. Racism is ultimately about diminishing sectors of people so you could keep people in little cubby holes so you could reduce wages. So a few people can make more money. And we, in these little boxes, are fighting among ourselves. Okay? So they don't have real competition. Because let me tell you what, what's really going on here. If the story about the invention of email or the invention of TV by Follow Farnsworth got out, that means there's a lot of freaking smart people out there who can invent email or this. Not one Elon Musk or they're trying to promote, right? He's like the only freaking inventor. And by the way, we've already sent rockets up and down. So this is supposed to be a big deal he's doing, okay? They try to centralize innovation, like centralizing food, centralizing genetic engineering. Because if there were a million, 10 million, a billion 14 year old kids innovating, you know what that does? It reduces the cost of innovation. Everyone getting that? You reduce the cost of innovation. You reduce the cost of all things. Not just one Facebook, a million Facebooks, a million Googles, a million more products for us. They don't want to do that. So they have to destroy the invention of email. They have to destroy the invention of TV where it comes from. All done without a college education. And I did it without a college education. I didn't need to go to MIT, everyone. I didn't even know about MIT until two weeks before I applied. MIT benefited from me. It took me years to figure that out. They used me. I was a good slave for them. So what I'm trying to tell you is, it's about time everyone starts realizing what is real racism. Real racism is putting us in these freaking boxes. This is what real racism is. You know, telling Richard, oh, Richard has that accent. You must be this, right? Richard, uh, Richard, you're good to, you know, you should only do this job, right? So that's what this is about. That's why when I grew up, I grew up with people, many of my, uh, Richard, what happened when we went to the hearing, when we talked about vaccination? I had myself, I don't know, uh, Jen is still on, who's a mom, and Richard is a sanitation worker. And I had me, the MIT scientists and them giving hearings. You know what happened? All the elite liberals said, "Why did Shiva? You gave the hearing. You, you're the scientist. Why did you have a sanitation worker in her? You screwed over, helped whatever. Yeah. Had, you
1: know, people
0: yeah. We didn't bring stupid Booby Kennedy in. You see, there's segregation. I don't care about that. I grew up with everyday people. I grew up with people who came from nothing who helped me. White people, black people, brown people, people of all color. So I respect Richard. I don't care what his educational background is." He's one of me and he's one of you. And they want to keep us in these little boxes. All right. That's what this is about. But so they can they can minimize us so there can only be one Mark Zuckerberg. OK, one Mark Zuckerberg dropout or one Bill Gates. By the way, Gates stole his stuff. But you surely can't have a dark skinned Indian guy in Newark, New Jersey who invented email. That bugs them. And for God's sake, if Richard, a sanitation worker comes to a public hearing six next to an MIT guy, that bugs him.
1: You're, the whole thing.
0: You're right. That's what this is about. This is not about white or black. This is about something far deeper, okay? So, well, let's talk about what's going on after the coronavirus. By the way, just, this is this is racism. Here you have this big dope, Bill Gates and the Clintons and all of them, and the booby Kennedys and all these. Fools who've done nothing, by the way, Uh, uh, the foolish Booby Kennedy is now stealing my stuff. Total plagiarist. Um, And what you have here is 600 plus billionaires after coronavirus have increased their wealth by 400 billion dollars during the pandemic. Everyone waking up. Let me read to you from this press release that came from the American uh, for for Tax Fairness. OK, 600 plus billionaires jumped by four hundred thirty four billion or 15 percent on the group's analysis of the Forbes data. The billionaires worth rose from two point nine four trillion to three point three two trillion. Top five U.S. billionaires, Bezos, Gates, Zuckerberg, Warren Buffett and Larry Ellison saw their wealth grow by 75 billion or 19 percent in two months. Bezos and Zuckerberg together grew by nearly 60 billion. Two guys or 14%, both, by the way, Bezos, Amazon was fully open, small working businesses, hardware stores, they were all closed. This scumbag made a lot of money, and this other scumbag, Zuckerberg, who's censoring all of us, made a lot of money. In March, there were 614 billionaires. So think about this, before COVID crisis, there were 614 billionaires. Well, what the hell happened? We were all getting destroyed, Another 16 billionaires got added in two months, including Kanye West. Okay, So this is the data. Everyone look at this data. Here are the top five guys. Whose wealth grew by 75 billion. One, two, look at column four here. All the others wealth grew by 315 billion. This is what's going on in two months. Seventy five billion dollars increase. And here are more guys. Okay. Mr. Musk, the only guy who can innovate. Okay. Lives off government subsidies, by the way. Okay. And by the way, people should go look at Elon Musk's batteries. They're all coming. You know, you open up his battery technology. What's all Chinese stuff, little batteries. Okay. He lives off you and I tax dollars. Not much in innovation. I'll tell you that right now. But he's promoted. He grew the most. 48% there, Richard. 48%. How many people are unemployed? $11 billion in growth. And they'll promote him. Stupid people like Joe Rogan will put him on because they need them as their hero. Okay? Not everyday people. Michael Bloomberg, 12 billion, 25%. Balmer, 24%. Okay? This is what's going on, ladies and gentlemen. And now, in the middle of all this, let's talk about how your government, how the super wealthy have been treating this. It's time to wake up. Larry Kudlow, okay? You know, friend of all the big banks. This is what he does. Coronavirus stimulus package exceeds six trillion. That's how much they did. And this is how they spent two trillion of that. Well, they gave some of that to you guys in cash payments to the really, really super poor. 425 billion went to large corporations. Then loans of around $300 billion to small corporations, state and local governments got about $274 billion and public service got 170. But that's a $2 trillion. Now look at where the other $4 trillion went. I don't know if you guys know, it wasn't just $2 trillion, It was $6 trillion. You know where the other $4 trillion is going? It's a slush fund for the Fed and the elites. They're giving it to their buddies on Wall Street. And where are they giving it? Well, here's one example. The Fed must now buy junk bonds. So what they're doing is, remember, many of these big corporations were in the shithole. They weren't doing well anyway before Corona. So the $2 trillion they threw to a lot of poor people, you know, not a lot of small businesses. I didn't get any. You didn't get any. They gave it to the ultra poor to buy them off. But they have another $4 trillion in stash, and they're going to buy junk bonds from all these companies. You can raise that a little bit more, Richard. It's a little more. They're buying a lot of junk bonds. Yeah, that's good, Richard. A little more. Yeah, that's good. So they're buying the debt of companies who are horrible businesses to keep them propped up. They're their buddies. So look at this. Let me give you an example. So look at this. It says, during the 2008 financial crisis, the Federal Reserve agreed to bail out too big to fail banks. In the current economic crisis, the government has decided to essentially bail out companies of debatable credit worthiness. And the Fed is planning on using some of that $4 trillion up to nearly a trillion, $750 billion worth of investment to buy investment-grade junk bonds. So here's an example. They're planning on Buying other countries' junk bonds, a small Canadian oil company with 451 employees, which has had a minus 33% five-year analyzed return. They're losing money, minus 33% return. They should die. They suck.
1: Nobody else
0: could keep it. No they one ever. Yeah. Time if, <laughs> exactly. And here's another company in the U.S. 207 employees, negative 15% annualized return, owned by Jerry Jones, a billionaire. He's going to get a nice big payday. And the question was, do these two companies, both struggling long before the coronavirus hit, and one, which is Canadian, deserve US government help? But that's what's going on. They are printing money on the backs of you and our children, the working people, to bail these elite guys out who don't invent anything, by the way. And, and now let's talk about what, so that's what the elites are doing for themselves to monopolize power left and right, And in the middle of that, look what's going on here. During the same approximate period, two months, 38 million working Americans lost their job, 38 million. And this is from the New York Times. Many jobs may vanish forever as layoffs mount. With over 38 million US unemployment claims in nine weeks, one economist says the situation is grimmer than we thought. And let me show you this picture Jennifer sent me right in Vermont. You have doubling, this is a food bank. This line of cars goes, keep going back and back and back. Double the number of people trying to get food. Middle class and lower middle class. And you know what you see? This is in Africa. Okay, people cars, people no cars. That's what we're talking about. This is what's going on while we're bailing out in $6 trillion these kind of companies, $4 trillion. I hope people are getting it. Now, let me bring it home to Boston. The average net worth of a black person in Boston, let's connect the dots now. In the midst of Massachusetts, the home of the Kennedys, right? Yep. Ted Kennedy, Senator, Joe Kennedy, Joe Kennedy the third. Booby Kennedy, who endorsed him. By the way, Booby Kennedy, I'm talking about Bobby Kennedy. Complete, complete pro-vaccine. He says, I am emphatically in pro-vaccine. i vaccinated all my guys. After I expose him, now he's running around doing interviews, trying to start his own station, trying to steal all my material. I'm suing him, by the way. My lawyers are taking care of that. Well, in Massachusetts, the home of the Democrats, you know what the net worth of a black person is? Here it is, ladies and gentlemen. It's by the Federal Reserve. Eight dollars. Yes, this is in the Boston Globe. And this is in black. the report. Blacks in Boston have a median net worth of eight bucks. Whites have 247,000. By the way, those whites aren't aren't people like Richard,
1: right? These are,
0: yeah, these are John Kerry's. These are the elites, the liberal aristocracy, okay? So this is what the democratic elites have, or the multiracial elites. Eight bucks for, this is two years ago, December 13th. Now, does that mean I'm saying the whites are doing great? no. They are putting poor blacks and poor whites, all of them on the reservation. And let me show you the data. As a scientist, I like to share data because there is truth. There's not opinion, there is truth. Poor white Americans are getting poorer, what diversity numbers don't say. Look what's happening here, let me just show you this graph. You see, blacks have been poor and they're remaining poor. Hispanics are poor and they're remaining poor, okay? This is the low income household. A household of Hispanics is 7,900, a household of blacks is 5,000, it's pretty amazing. Look what the household of whites used to be, 42,700. That's gone worse to now 22,900, Richard. So what we're doing is everyone is regressing to the mean. White, Hispanic, black, among the poor, they're all making them poor. So whether you're white, black, or Hispanic, the elites, white, black, or Hispanic, are making you poor because they want big, they want regulations. The left imports regulations. This is why during the coronavirus, who was open? Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, McDonald's. When me and Richard went down to deliver the fire Fauci um, signatures, we couldn't get any restaurants. It's Dunkin' Donuts crap, Starbucks crap. There was
1: nothing Amazon trucks on there. And Amazon
0: trucks. Meanwhile on the north end and the businesses here everyone shut down. The elites made 75 billion dollars at least. Five guys, 10 guys. So now we have racism suddenly hit, right? A white cop on a black guy's knee. Yeah. Perfect timing. And let me just let me just give you some data here. This is what's happening to the middle class. The middle class Look at these numbers. This is the middle income among the adult population. 1971, 130 million adults. 80, you know, if you look at that 80 over 30, 130 is what, someone do the math for me. 30 uh, percent, 50, 60, let's say 50, 60 percent, okay? 70 percent are middle class. And the upper and the lower were split like this. Now in 2015, five years ago, this is what we have. Majority are in the upper and the lower the middle classes makes up the total of the upper and lower. And this is where we're headed, ladies and gentlemen. This is where we're going. A shrinking middle class, the independent thinkers, the entrepreneurs, the small business owners, the skilled workers, massive amount of the lower class. These are the food stamps, welfare, state owned, give them money, here's your cannabis, here's your, alcohol was all open, and a little bit of the upper class. This is where we're headed. And this is why this picture is so powerful. Because that guy's knee on that guy's head, put your head there. Black, white, whatever color you are. The message that they're sending to you in a psychological way is, we got our knee on your head. That's what the message is, Richard. That's what this is about because this is where they want us to go. This is racism. This is racism. The racism is to make sure you never leave your box. And if you do, they're gonna, so they wanna get rid of all the independent thinkers. Entrepreneurs, we think out of the box. The people who support our campaign for truth, freedom, and health like you, we are out of the box thinkers. Wouldn't you say so? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> they don't want people connecting, oh, well, with freedom, you get truth, and with truth, you get health, and with health, you get this, and I can think of my, my body as a system. They don't want that. They want this. They want this, they want this, okay? And in order to get here, they gotta have all the lower class people, poor, white, black, all fighting among each other, okay? They don't want us, the deep state, coming together because this is what they wanna do to us. This is not about George Floyd, this is about all of us. That's what this is about. They want to put their knee to our throat. They'll tell us when you wear masks, when you don't wear masks, when you can open up your business, when you can't, what is real and what is fake. And I'm here to tell you that our campaign for truth, freedom and health is gone global because of all of you. And we are going to build revolutionaries for truth, freedom and health. This is why we must win the campaign for U.S. Senate in Massachusetts. Because it's not about me, it's not about Richard, it's about all of us unleashing hell against the deep state because Massachusetts is the center of the deep state because I can guarantee you, they have people between MIT and Harvard who planned. Remember, before action comes thought. And the people who plan all this stuff are here. None of this was coincidental. And the reason the Wikipedia scumbags have to lock my page and say he was discredited as inventing email. Where did you make that up? Call me a conspiracy theorist. I have four degrees from MIT, a Fulbright scholar. I've won every major award. But that's what they have to do. They have to diminish us, but screw them. Bottoms up, truth, freedom, and health. And black, white, whatever you are, we got to unite. And we got to see this, that they want to diminish us they wanna have us fighting and that knee of that officer. And by the way, it was a Chinese officer sitting there watching this. Yes. Okay, so let's remember that. This is not about black or white. This is about you and I being independent, thinking different, they need to crush that. And they will distract us, talk about this, but we gotta to come together. And that's why real racism putting us in boxes is what the deep state wants. That's their ultimate weapon against us. Anyway, I hope this has helped everyone give you a perspective. But I need, if I have one need, it's to share this with you and for all of you to wake up and take this knowledge, this video, share it, absorb it understand there is real racism and the democratic party doesn't understand it nor does the republican party. this is beyond left or right. I just shared with you a systems approach how to think about it. So this is why I want to encourage all of you. You got to go get system and revolution not for me, do it for yourself. You got to understand the fund- foundations of systems. You got to understand how your body use this tool. So when I you know when I shared this with you system and revolution this is and and I you know if you can't afford it just go you know ask for a scholarship. Someone just said Rochelle Sanchez yes sir thank you for this I have a I am was having a mental day with all this stuff and going thank you for leading us through all this we stand with you Dr. Shiva bottoms up exactly they want to confuse you they want to play pictures of burning shit everywhere. the media doesn't give a damn about Floyd they don't give a damn about solving racism. They want to perpetuate it. The Kennedys don't give a damn about racism. They perpetuate it. Hillary Clinton, Bill Gates, whoever it is. Barack Obama, one of the biggest racists. He didn't do shit for his community in Chicago. People are shooting each other all day long. Bought a nice $15 million home in Martha's Vineyard, talking about global warming right on the beach. Total scumbag. It's up to us, ladies and gentlemen, it's up to us, bottoms up. Brothers and sisters uniting black and white, not just for unity, we shall overcome nonsense songs, okay? I'm talking about real unity, more like we shall overthrow. That's what the song should be, not we shall overcome. We shall overthrow. Someone should write a song on that, okay? I'm talking about the deep state. And so I want everyone listening, if you are serious about educating yourself, go to Shiva for Senate, support us in whatever way you can, but you gotta understand how systems operate. That's what this book is. It's like a Bible for understanding systems thinking. That's what system and revolution is. Understand how your body works so you can start taking care of your immune system. If you're in the United States anywhere, you can get it, donate 25 or whatever you wanna do. If you can't donate five or 10 or ask me for a scholarship. It's very affordable. And if you're outside of the United States, directly go to your body, your system, directly. And this is a way, you know, you can support my work, what I'm doing, but you can support you in understanding how your body is a system, how foods and all these things bring you back to you. I'm gonna take calls, it's 826. Again, Jen, if you can put my phone number out there, which I do, (laughs) Uh, people think I'm crazy for doing that. Richard, can you just give me that towel, a little bit of sweat. Uh, It's 617-631-6874. Thanks. But anyway, if there are no any questions, it'll be an early day for me, and I'll be fine with that. Let me make sure I didn't turn off my ringer. Sometimes I do that. When will audio be available? Someone's calling here. Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. How are you? Yeah, can you just speak a little bit louder, please? Yes, yes, okay. So I am a white man myself. I came from Poland, and I am married to a black woman, which is African-American please, slash uh, Native American uh, of the same course. and watching those things during the lifetime with her, even before I was married can you raise with the- her, I noticed the enormous ignorance that is still being, I think, by default,
1: people I've met. So I did the situations with her before I got married, when she told me, I'm being followed in that store. The security, people are watching my back. At the same time, some white people there are stealing. And they're not paying attention to that because they're white and they're pointing at me because of my color of skin now you have been um that you have been inventor of emails i like to go back to 1800s. for example in 1872 we had a man and elijah mccoy he invented the automated oiling system Which probably from this invention today, in every single vehicle right now, we have automated oiling system, as as we know it. He was black man, and just because he was black man, there was there is never ever mention of that. That actually black men happen to be inventor of such thing, and there is way more of that kind of things in history. So me, as a black man, as a white man. I can see very well that is being done, and at the same time, I'm watching my white bosses, my white Polish-descent co-workers being totally racist, and not understanding what I'm saying. I, I had my boss saying, there is no racism, what are you talking about? Which is really crazy, because myself, before I met my African-American, Native American wife, I wasn't aware of that. Right. Not capable of that.
0: So that, that, that's my take on that. Yeah. yeah, I you know, um, thank you very much by the way. I I'm just gonna thank you. I have another call coming, but I'll repeat what you shared with people, but I really appreciate your observation. Thank you. Where are you from, by the way? I'm Yeah. an and I Oh really? Okay what's your name yeah no worries uh, okay. okay okay thank you well listen thank you so much for sharing that I just want to share this with people hold on hello could you hold on I'm just gonna make a comment and I'll bring you on just hold on one second okay hold on so what I wanna share with you there is something very powerful because this is a common thing. I think Jennifer is also on the phone. Uh, By the way, Michelle's my partner, you know? So what's interesting is that um, that's why I think we need to elevate the discussion of what is racism. Like I'm a systems guy. I wanna figure out the general theory always. Um, You know, the guy who created the windshield wiper he wasn't a black guy, he was a white guy, but he did it as a Michigan mechanic. And a bunch of MIT guys, two professors went and took his stuff and they brought it to MIT, they diminished him. So the issue of racism, I wanna elevate that discussion is really about putting people in boxes and telling people in these boxes, this is what you're supposed to do. Now, it interesting enough, always happens to be associated with color, but not always. In the case of Philo Farnsworth, you know, it took him sixty years to recon- uh, to get the recognition that he invented TV because he did it in Franklin, Idaho, as a small farm farm boy. I had four strikes against me. I did it in Newark, New Jersey, where nothing's supposed to come out of, according to the elites. I was fourteen years old, right? I did it before MIT, and I have the skin color. Okay, so it's four strikes mm-hmm. because a fourteen-year-old kid is in that box. Oh, you're supposed to whatever, right? play baseball. By the way, I did play baseball. You're in Newark. Nothing's supposed to come out of Newark, right? You're supposed to be all criminals over there. Supposed to be muggers. And then you're, you're an Indian guy. Indian guys don't do that. They, they like work at 7-Eleven. Okay. Or an IT. Or an IT. You know how to write software. Yeah. Okay. So what he just shared was, you know, he went to a store and, you know, the, the guards are following his black um, uh, wife because the framing is black people always steal stuff by somebody because that's the way Hollywood portrays it. That's racism. Saying that if you meet a guy who talks like this, he probably, he, he, he can't study physics. He must be a dumb hillbilly. It's not true. That's racism. Now, it occurs more to people of color, so we see that, but some people don't see it. Racism is about control, it's it's not about color because racism is found in every race, and if you look at countries run by the same color, they still discriminate, absolutely true. But that's why it's important to call it out. Both sides. You can't say, well, you know, that, White cop did that to that black guy, but then a black guy did it to some guy over there. So, we no, we got to call it out all the time. All the time. That's how we get over this. Hello, Dr. Shiva. Thank you so much for your well-explained explanation of what I have thought about for many years. I am told I'm thinking too much. I'm a conspiracy theorist. I'm aware and awake to so much of this. You have really enlightened me to more stuff, and I was not aware of it. I'm originally from Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe. I moved to New Zealand. I was labeled a racist just because I was a white guy from South Africa. I like your explanation of racism out uh, into boxes. Very, very true. That's what it's about. And what the elites don't want us to do is they want nice little boxes as Daryl, as I've shared as Daryl's confirming, because then you can control people. And when you control people, you get more profit. You get more power. You get to be Amazon. You get to be Bill Gates you get to be Mark Zuckerberg. You get to make $78 billion in a Corona crisis, and then you can have blacks and white fighting in Minneapolis or whatever, right? You completely distract attention. Yes, we need to unite and we need to stop excusing bad behavior. That's right. So when someone like Jimmy Wales or these scumbags at Wikipedia lock my page, take down any time we try to put and say discredit it to the invention of email, that's racist. We should all call it out. I busted myself to get all my degrees, start my companies, and they've reduced me to that, but Bill Gates gets, gets a nice write-up on Wikipedia. Yeah. That's racist, call it out. Call it out when they put people in boxes and when people try to get out of their boxes, they try to shove them back in, that's racism. Let me take this call. Hello? Yeah, you gotta speak a little bit loud because my phone's, hey Rich, Michelle, uh, I, I don't wanna give someone else. Yeah, so go ahead, can you speak a little bit louder? Just speak as loud as you can. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, ask your question. Well, you know, it's an interesting question, right? So you use the word conspiracy theories, which is what Wikipedia uses. So I don't think that's I think that itself is wrong what you just said. Well, let me finish. Well, let me finish. You you just you just use conspiracy theory in relation to me to a racist post on Wikipedia. So, let's define deep state, okay? And by the way, that term is a term that was in many ways uh, the the acronym for that is a definition that was coined earlier by uh, Eisenhower, who called it the military-industrial complex. His original speech said the military-industrial-academic complex. And Jay Stratton, who was a science advisor, took out the word academic. He was a Republican uh, president of the United States, who, who was uh, in his farewell speech. You can go read it. He did that. Then. About seven, eight years later, Senator William Fulbright gave a famous speech and he called it the military-industrial-academic complex. That is the deep state. And it does exist. It's not a conspiracy theory. It is the collusion. you say deep you you today... It's Hold on, let me put you up. Go ahead. What's that? Well, I'm defining it precisely for you. And it's... It's a definition that I've talked about for the last 10 years. And it's a definition that I want to give you a scientific definition. It is the collusion among big corporations, among big military, and big academia. That is the deep state, and it does exist. So you have to understand that is not... The conspiracy theories, yes, they exist, and there's. but I'm talking about something that before I came, it was talked about and it's well written about by Republicans, guys like Eisenhower and statesmen like William uh, Fulbright, who was a Democrat. So I think you should go read about that. That is my definition of the deep state. And others people have called it other names, but that's not a conspiracy theory. To denote that as a conspiracy theory, I what's that? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So that's why I'm giving, I don't even think it's a conspiracy. I think it's just a fact. Okay. It's a fact. Go read Walter Isaacson's. I think you should go read Walter Isaacson's book. Uh, Say that again. Let me say that a little bit louder. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. So let me be, look, you know, there are words you can look, if we want the Shiva Ayyadurai definition of deep state, maybe we should add it to Oxford English Dictionary. It is the triangle of the military, big military, massive global corporations, and big academia. It is that collusion that I'm referring to, which Eisenhower talked about as a 1961 farewell speech, and... Fulbright wrote extensively about, and other scholars have talked about this. That is what I'm referring to as a deep state. And that is what I believe people need to be educated on, that that is real. And you could probably argue the other stuff that you're talking about with with all um, credit to what you're saying is in many ways done to uh, diminish that true deep state, if that's making any sense. Yeah, I think you should look into it. Look, look, I I think I agree with you. Look, if it's like, okay, there's men from Mars and there's, maybe they are, but you know, and there's reptiles, you know, some people have talked about it. Maybe, right? I don't know. But I'm talking about something much more substantive. You're talking to someone who, you know, I'm a scientist, okay? I'm not some guy who lives on some planet Xenon, okay? You can go, look, I do serious (laughs) hardcore research. I can, we can have a great discussion about, you know, general systems theory, thermodynamics. You're talking to a serious researcher. Okay. So I am trying to educate this discussion. What's that? Well, 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 look, well, look, what I think what you have to understand is like, for example, in the vaccine, anti-vax, vax discussion, when I got into it, you had, the very scumbag people like Bobby Kennedy, who's been sitting on this movement and says, I'm against vaccines when he actually is pro-vaccine and wants regulation. I'm the guy who said we need to move beyond vax and anti-vax and vax, and we need to move to a discourse about personalized medicine. One size does not fit all. A guy like me is a serious scientist, a serious engineer, and, th- and I'm trying to raise the discourse. There is a deep state. It's not the deep state of people from xenon, living in reptiles under the ground. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there is a deep state and and we should elevate that discussion. And in many ways, to your point, that other stuff that's being talked about must be exposed as something you could argue that that maybe is a conspiracy so we don't get serious about the deep state. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Look, the only look there, there, there are enough of these fools out there um, whose purpose is not look, if, if you saw a couple of talks ago, I I, I I gave, I said, we all need to decide what the goal is. If the goal is just to get views and, you know, to build some YouTube channel, that's not my interest. My interest as I've been very clear about is I believe that the time has come that we need to build an actual movement, an educated movement where people start learning systems thinking, how things are systems, and and everything I do comes from a very deep, profound understanding of systems thinking. It's been sort of my 40, 50 year journey to really explain and educate people. And when you take a systems approach, you can understand the immune system, I can teach you molecular systems theory, you can understand how a toaster works, all these are integrated but there is an interconnection among people who want power, profit and control and want to maintain that there. In my view, the, there is two sides of this deep state military industrial complex. The democratic party with the left and its middle center wing pushes quote unquote safety on every issue to impose regulations and the so called right and the establishment Republicans use that to create monopolies. I mean, I can show you example after example, after example, that's called science and we can build a theory on it and I can show it to you occurring over and over again. That is a scientific systems understanding. But I appreciate what you're saying because I do believe that that term is used by certain people to diminish the term and the importance of it. But I appreciate us having this discussion and we can have a longer discussion about it. Maybe we should write an essay on what is the deep state. Maybe I'll do one. You know, what is the deep state and what it is not? (laughs) Well, look, um, it's, it's a longer discussion. But what I'm saying is go listen to Eisenhower's speech. Have you heard his speech in 1961? Go, go, go. Let's have a discussion. Go. It's online. Everyone listening. Here's a homework assignment. Go listen to 1961 Eisenhower's speech, his farewell speech. Then go read William Fulbright's book where he coined the term military industrial academic complex. Okay, to Senator Fulbright. And maybe what I'll do is, I'll do a whole video just on that. We should do a discussion, it's a great idea. How about you and I co-host it, okay? Let's do a discussion of what is the deep state or defining the deep state, the real deep state, okay? I got to take another call just just for, you you have my number, call me up anytime and let's do a follow-up, okay? Thank you. Great, great questions. Okay, we have someone from Monroe, Louisiana calling. Who is this? Please speak loudly. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Uh, Oh, go ahead. Connie Hi, Connie. How are you? Please tell us what you are, your comment and your question. Yeah, Connie, you said it well said. Well, best to you and your husband. Look, when you uncover, it's, it's like this, You know, I mean, I, I, I work on software, I work on machines, I fix things, right? If you figure out what the problem is in a piece of software or a machinery, right? And you say, this is what the solution is. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's reality. It's <laughs> a fact. It it's
1: And yeah. Critically think and call it state, to state It's not that difficult. It's
0: just really not. It's called thinking and common sense. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 those in power are very clever. One of the things I think I want everyone to understand, and Connie, you're reminding of this to share people, is there is the overt establishment, and then there's a not so obvious establishment, which talks a good game on anything, but they ultimately screw people. The only one of the dynamics that emerges out of this is watch what people do for a living. What did they actually do? Are they lawyer, lobbyist, bankers move around money? Do they actually create value? Do they serve people? Do they help? And you have to look at what people do ultimately because those people who are moving around stuff and moving words in the abstract You know, be it the Bernie Sanders or the Elizabeth Warrens or the Clintons or the Gates. I mean, uh, particularly the Clintons, you know, or people who endorse them like the Kennedys and then say, we're here to help you. These people are the most dangerous people.
1: Mm Yeah, so you also have to watch the alternative media because
0: we have plenty of psychological operations in that front to distract us, to divide us. I agree. I agree. That's why I think it's very important we start building a systems understanding that's because there is truth. You know, the earth does go around the sun, okay? Um, you can't BS your way out of that. Vitamin D, 80,000 papers written on it. It produces cathelicidins. It has multiple effects in the immune system. So. Doctors do not know that. You're 100%. They
1: yep. do not know this. They are not taught this. Luckily, my husband is, is open-minded, and we are trying should be to make a difference because if I do not speak this will continue.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly you nailed it yeah so I think one of the things Connie's saying th- thank you very much Connie best to you and your husband please stay in touch you should go up to our website and sign up as a, a one of our volunteers so we can keep in touch with you but thank you so much for calling. I will. I okay will. thank you bye-bye okay who's calling from New York I know you've been patiently waiting hold on one second. Hi, can you hold on one second? You're from Minneapolis, right? If you can hold on. Yes. And can you call? Yep. Yes, go ahead. Hold on. Hi, go ahead from New York. Hi, Eva. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Who's this? Uh, this is Oily. Really i talked to you before. Good to hear your voice. Oh, great. Thank you.
1: Basically, your goal is to bring down the
0: elite, or people that are sort of top down. Um, It seems like what I'm hearing is you're taking the poor versus rich approach. Please correct me in the again, I'm on your side, but i Yeah, yeah, let me just stop here. It's not poor versus rich. Let's stop right there. So if you go back to the previous slide, it's a great thing, I just wanna, so just correct you, okay? Yeah, so it's not poor versus rich. It's the producers. Versus the people who do not produce. Like, this is a really, really good point. I'm, and thank, thank you so much. Okay. So if you look at a real economy, okay, meaning an economy where it's absolutely market forces and true capitalism works, which is in the spirit of Adam Smith, okay, is what you have. Is you, you're born. You, you, you have certain skills that you develop because of dreams that you have. Okay. Maybe you learn how to farm, right? Maybe you learn how to do engineering. Maybe you learn how to write software. Maybe you learn how to sculpt. You follow what I'm saying? These are tangible skills that comes out of one of the, I believe this is a philosophical question about the aspect of being a human being, which is being a creative force, okay? Some philosophies don't believe that. Some philosophies, fascist philosophies believe there are only a few people who are elite and then everyone else is stupid, okay? And we're gonna use them as tools. That was Mussolini's model, okay? I don't ascribe to that, I believe, so this is, I believe that everyone, and this is sort of a mixture of spirituality or philosophy and other, I believe that each one of us has a spark within us and we each wanna attain something in our lives. And the goal is uh, to create an environment where each person can achieve that, become a whole human being, okay? Right. And I'm 100% on you on that. Yeah, so, so, uh, you. yeah, so let me just so what I was trying to say was in that model, there are people who pursue that model, right? Independent thinkers, creators, people um, taking risks, starting things, etc., skilled people who go and learn a skill. There are another set of people who do not value that, they think because they had a birth lottery, right? that their existence is because they have a certain name and they're entitled to stuff. This goes back to monarchy models, okay? That the king thought he, you're born as King George IV and therefore you have a connection to God and everyone's supposed to work for you, right? Which is bullshit, right? So one model is producers and there's other people who are parasites. Now what's happening um, here is that there's something very clever taking place. The parasites who don't produce, but what's happened in this country is we outsource all of our manufacturing elsewhere. We have people making billions just by moving money overnight, okay? Or doing what's called derivatives. So they know that economy is built on not really anything tangible. It's called a fake economy. And for them to survive, they need an ally. And you know who that ally is? Other people, but on the other extreme, okay? Who are living on subsidies, who are living on food stamps, and they want all of us to become like that. Because the enemy of that dependent class of a fake economy is that people are actually producing stuff bottoms up. This is not about poor or rich. I would argue that, tr- yeah. Does that make sense? It's not, it's not about poor or rich. It's about the producers versus the people who live off production. All right, I hear
1: Ask was you know it would be a remiss to, to not ask you this question, but it's very clear that blacks are the greatest are you know the races that are at the greatest disadvantage here in America. That's substantial. You look at the street. You look at the people that are living in their city. You look at who is receiving the you know, The majority, the percentage, are black African Americans. So my question to you is, you know, so I did find it a little troublesome. I heard you earlier saying. Uh, basically racism and, you know, adding, you know, the mix of whites in there because ultimately racism is when there's a specific race that has institutional power along with the, all the other powers um, um, and uses it against or perhaps uses it to their advantage and basically saying screw you to all the other races. Colorism, on the other hand, is people, for example, like, yeah.
0: Yeah, so you, I think your question was, how would I handle this top-down model? Was that the question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah so, so let, let, let me tell you. I think it's, by, by the way, you're asking some very important and deep questions, so let me address them um, uh, one at a time, okay? First of all, the liberal scholars who who talk about racism and they've been talking about this for 50 years, okay, 60 years, and I've read a lot of this stuff, okay? They never address it from, or very few address it understanding a perspective of the economy, okay? They think colorism uh, or racism exists in a vacuum. And many of them do this because they do not have to put a mirror to their own face because many of them are themselves racist. And let me explain that. Now, yes, there, you know, when I grew up in India, my dad was very dark, for example. Okay. His second brother was a little bit lighter. All right. And he would get a certain treatment. All right. Better treatment now. So my mother used to say, you know, Shiva, you're going to have to get an A plus plus for the other student who gets a B. Okay. So I understand that dynamic. All right. So that is a dynamic that, but you have to take it one level deeper. Why does that exist? The reason that exists when my dad first came here, is a chemical engineer. He got paid $12,000 a year. His white counterpart got paid $36,000 a year for the exact same job. And he was a better engineer. Now, the reason this exists, which many of these typically uh, many liberal white scholars do not want to talk about because they're going to have to put their mirror to their face and understand why is Elizabeth Warren getting $375,000 for teaching a course at Harvard, okay? She'll talk about all this nonsense, but she won't really talk about the fundamental issue. The real issue, it is because of economics. Because what you have to do is you have to create these boxes. Okay, the little bit lighter white, dark, white, uh, light-skinned black guy is a little bit better than the dark-skinned black guy, you see? And so on, because- Well no 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 I don't think he gets it right. That's not what it is. Let me tell you what it is. It is because you have to create economic differentials in in pay scale. Racism and sexism are pillars of exploitation. You, that's what they are. They are done whether it was okay, let's say you had blue skin people. Okay, the really blue skin guy is is really bad and the green skin guys are good. Because there's because what you want to do is you want to create economic differentials. No different than saying you know, people from Newark, imagine if all the people from Newark could invent things like email. Well, you know what? What does Zuckerberg mean then? Or Gates? Well, it's not that special anymore. So the the so the, it, you have to go follow the money. I mean, in Africa, Africans are putting Africans in slaves. In India, Gandhi collaborated with the British to put other brown skinned people in slavery. OK. In indentured servitude for 70 more years. This is. Right. So what I'm saying is I'm saying we have to if we don't do the economic connection to race, then this is why we create race war. This is why a white working class person listens to some stupid idiot scholar who writes about colorism and racism. And they say this guy's full of shit because he actually has not really talked about racism because he has not understood the fact that that poor white guy in Cambridge, Harvard just took over his house and and bought his house and threw him out. And there's some professor at Harvard talking about colorism and racism and getting paid $800,000 a year. Elizabeth Warren, and she, she says she's Native American. She's a racist. You see what I'm saying? So the liberal white elites don't really want to talk about racism in the context of economics because it's going to put their mirror on them. So they sit there in the literal ivory towers talking about racism when they know shit about racism because racism disconnected from economic exploitation is just a mental masturbative discussion. It's not not anything significant. And this is, by the way, you can have this parallel discussion on feminism too, okay? Because if you take a room full of a thousand people, imagine this, and you take half of them black, half of them white, and let's assume half of them are women, half of them are men, and you're the person who's exploiting the bejesus out of them, what do you do? You pay the women a little bit less than the men. You pay the blacks a little bit less than the white people. You know what, they're all squabbling among each other. It's architected. In India, for example, a, a politician, a Hindu politician could go among the Hindus and say, you know, the Muslims think, and they always do this at election time, okay? Oh my God, they think your curry your curry is bad. What? They said that? You can start a riot in an Indian village. So we have to look at the economic origins of this. The economic origins are important because without the economic origins, we're just going to have this discussion about race in a vacuum like feminism has a discussion about feminism, and then it puts pits men against women or puts race against race. It...
1: education that people are running right so i'm very very interested
0: to you know hearing their opinion on the black lives matter movement and this whole george floyd situation going on along with everything else how would you respond to that well look you know so there so if you look at black lives matter you know white lives matter whatever let's say black lives matter okay the issue comes to a discussion of a very very i mean this is a long discussion we could do a longer one on it there's a lot of people that send from the 20s, 1800s who've written about it. Um, you know, Rosa Luxemburg wrote some very interesting articles about it, right? And there's many other. You know, uh, I mean, there's there's been whole treatises written on this. But one of the important characteristics is nationalism. What is nationalism? And if we, so, racism and nationalism or self determination. These are very deep questions. Are are intimately connected. And but what you what emerges out of that is there is what I would call a progressive nationalism and a cultural nationalism. Okay. So in the context of race, there are people who say, yeah, black people must come together. Okay. For what purpose is it a progressive nationalism? Because black people were denied infrastructure. They never had their sovereignty, right. To determine that. Or is it to, to go back to the good old days of when we were in Africa and we had African slaves. You know what I mean? That's like cultural nationalism or, Um, people, uh, you know, in India, this is going on among the Hindus and the Muslims, right? There is a fact that the Indians in India never had a chance to really rise up in a positive way. Uh, If you look at the history of India in in, in true progressive nationalism, that was always, uh, India never had a good revolution. America had a good revolution so people can determine their progressive national identity. Then you have cultural nationalism, which goes back to the good old days, you know? I mean, you could have, a sensibility of, let's say, a poor white working class person saying, you know what, I'm like sort of screwed. That's why I want to come together to d- determine my white identity. And it could be progressive or it could be regressive. These are very important questions. Is it. want to mo- get the yeah. original question today. I'm a journalist at How would you yeah. dilute,
1: and I think about the other people I want to talk to here, how would you dilute the top down hierarchy
0: has set a middle ground? Well, I just want to go back to that. Yeah, so, so let me tell you where I'm running for U.S. Senate. One person cannot, uh, can do very minimal if you think I'm going to go into the Senate and I'm going to change everything overnight, okay? That would be delusional, okay? <laughs> <it> <laughs> but what I do know is this. I do know, having studied history and having been an activist, that one of the most powerful things is bottoms up movement where I see myself more as a catalyst, okay? A catalyst is very different than a leader. My goal in winning and being a US senator, I'm only gonna do it for one term and I could talk more about that, is for this very, very important reason. I believe someone like me is an, can be an inspiration and represents the vast majority, more people than a lawyer lobbyist. I'm running against three lawyer lobbyists, okay? Free lawyers. Think about it. Malarkey, 50 years, joke Kennedy, who's been in there since the guy's 38 years old and he's got a 51 million dollar trust fund. And the only reason he thinks he's senator, he's trying to talk his way into Senate. And another guy who's got 13 Twitter followers who the Republican establishment put him against me Now compare that to me and what America represented people coming bottoms up, people who had skills, et cetera. So my goal is to re-inspire what it means to have those, in my ways, those truly progressive American values, which was bottoms up, you work, you served, and you left after one term. You were done.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So my goal is to build a movement. And in those six years when I'm a senator, I'm going to be working you know, five times more than the guy who's in there the day he steps in, he's trying to spend 90% of his time getting re-elected. I've taken that off the table. You follow him? So, I'm gonna be spending 150% on legislation. And in that time, I wanna be someone who's an inspiration a statesman. I wanna perhaps educate 10,000 other young people. When I leave, they're running for public office to only serve one term. That's a movement. Um, Dr. Chima, it's been
1: a pleasure. It was great talking to you. And just uh, let you know, again, I'm on your side and I'm so excited see you go on I've been following you all
0: along but i will mail you with some questions in the future just to prepared for that but that comes from a good place and a good time yeah yeah definitely let's do that and maybe we have a talk on you know deeper talk on racism if you want to do that yeah let's do that Absolutely. thank you be well hello how are you you're calling from minneapolis sorry about that i wasn't able to take you why don't you tell us what's going on there and your name and how you're doing thank you
1: And they're really going through it. It's kind of crazy there. People are dropping bricks off the
0: 35W bridge that people drive under. You know, they don't care who they kill. Oh my god! It's crazy. <laughs> so, um, my question
1: to you, coming from the common everyday person, is: I'm a person of prayer, so that's what I'm doing. But what do you advise people like myself? I'm a stay-at-home homeschooling mom who wants to raise free-thinking kids who are not raised to be <laughs> little socialists who are loyal to the state. What so what we're doing, would you suggest
0: that the common person does? Yeah, so the question is what should a common person do? Hold on one second. Fitchburg, Massachusetts, hold on one second. So you're asking a really good question. Look, I think we're, we live in extraordinary times. Uh, you asked about homeschooling. I think, Richard, is it June 20th? I think Harvard is having a conference, an invitation-only conference, and get this. The conference is by a woman a quote-unquote liberal scholar who thinks we should eliminate homeschooling. Yeah. And in fact, it's the typical liberal model, which means we need to regulate this because parents don't know what they're doing. Their kids are not getting the right education. So the state. Yeah.
1: Because we're talking
0: about the looting and the riots that are happening in my family's backyard, people like me are a racist. That's what we're, we're being called because we're ignoring why George Floyd was killed. You know what I'm saying? So like yeah. So what? I, that, real issue, they want to talk about the media narrative that made the issue. Yeah, and I, I think you nailed it. Look, the fundamental issue, that's why I wanted to do this talk today. What is racism? See, what's happened is, as I mentioned, the right doesn't want to talk about racism. And so they leave this huge vacuum for the left to define racism. And what my goal today was, yeah, let's talk. There is a real racism. And when you step back, theoretically, it's putting people in these boxes and saying you're supposed to be in that box. And when you step out of that box, we're going to lynch you. OK, so if you're a white person who grew up, blah, 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 like this, you're supposed to vote Republican. If you're a black person, you're supposed to work vote, you know, Democrat. If you're an Indian, you're supposed to only be a good IT worker. If you're a blonde and so on, you see what I'm saying? Um, So I think we need to, if we can keep that system's perspective on race, we can now start having a discourse with people across the aisle, right? And bring people. So in this discussion, they have narrowed racism to a definition, that means that if you question that definition, then you're a racist, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly, that's pretty much what I Right, and this is done, like when I when I ran two years ago against Elizabeth Warren, you know, we tried to run as a uh, Republican, the Republicans were afraid of me, I ran as an independent. And we had these posters, they were very funny posters, I don't have an example here, but it's, I had a picture of me, and I had a picture of Elizabeth Warren in a headdress, okay? <laughs> and the campaign was only the real Indian can defeat the fake Indian, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Now, we would go to Whole Foods and there were people there who would literally look like Elizabeth Warren in in Cambridge. It's like it's a cult. They all cut their hair short and they wear the same glasses. I mean, to me, it's almost like a cult. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we would pass out cards on one side. It had only the real Indian can defeat the fake. And on the other side, it had my policies, you know, clean air, clean water, clean food, no mandated vaccine, et cetera. People would read that and they go, oh, this is great. And then they turn around the other side and go, oh, my God. (laughs) Only that this is racist. And these were people who were liberal white people living on Brattle Street in their $5, $10 million mansions would come to me and call me a racist. I I said, you know what? You're the racist. I said, do you understand that you think because I put a headdress on her that makes me a racist? She's the one who got into Harvard, lied saying that she's a Native American. Do you understand that you're defining racism by your terms, you're the racist? Exactly. And that didn't compute for them. When they are the racist, they have bounded racism by if you put a headdress on, therefore you're a racist. Well, I'm sorry, I, I have a, by the way, I have, I have a master's in fine arts or visual studies, that's part of my art. Now, if one of their people, if, if a black person did, like I just saw something on the internet a black artist is doing a thing on mugshots of black people. Ooh, that's so cool. Let's support the black artist, you know? So the the, the liberal multiracial aristocracy now has defined race. And, and so for them to, they, it, it does not compute that Elizabeth Warren is one of the most insidious racists. Bernie Sanders is a racist. Hillary Clinton is a racist. Joe Biden is a racist. Donald Trump is not a racist. Now, once you put that out, that doesn't compute. Because they have, and this is a failure of the Republican establishment and the right establishment, because they have denied racism. So it has left a beautiful open vacuum. So we that's why I think we, we have to say, yeah, there is racism. And that's what I was trying to define today. But So we have to have this deeper discussion on what is racism. Racism is denying that Philo Farnsworth in Franklin, Idaho, invented TV because he came as a farm boy from there. Okay. That's racism in my view. It is racism that, you know, black Africans took advantage of other blacks in Africa. It is racism that Gandhi thought that people of a lower caste should just be keep doing those things. That's racism. But, unless we redefine what real racism is, the, the establishment and both sides are gonna get us into their nice little habit trail. How do you suggest people, you know, because you have a following, you have a platform, so you can get people to understand
1: that. How do you suggest people like myself have those conversations, obviously I'm trying to have those within friendships and things, but when people are spoon-fed a narrative their whole life and they want to believe it because it's easier to believe something that you're spoon-fed your whole life, and it keeps you a victim, and when you're a
0: victim, you get stuff. How do you get people past that mentality so you can actually have breakthrough in this area? Otherwise, you Yeah, get yeah you asked a great question. So, yeah, so so look, my what I realized is, you know, there was many, many years ago, about, what was it, 25 years ago, uh, when I was running one of my companies, I was asked to go to uh, a room full of executives, around 2,500 uh, of the leading sales executives at General Motors, to give a talk you know, about customer relationship management. The guy that spoke before me was a, a great guy called Price Pritchett. He's known as one of the leading organizational theorists in the world. And this is when General Motors was having problems. And he said, look, he goes, I've studied all different organizations my whole life, native organizations, primitive organizations, right? And he said, there are always three groups of people in any community. And he goes, if you want to have change, he said, this is a secret. So here's a change secret, okay? He said, typically in any organization, you always have this very interesting percentage of kinds of people. resistors, 30%. People want to keep things the way they are. 50% are fence sitters. They watch which way the wind's blowing. And then 20% are change agents. People who are probing deeper, deeper, deeper. They want to change the world in some substantive way. Okay? Well, he says one of the mistakes that change agents make is they spend 80% of their time trying to convince the 30% to think their way. And he said, get, get, he goes, don't even hang around those 30% of people spend 90% of your time finding your other 20% and organizing them. So you can bring the other 50% over. That's what I'm trying to do. So when I'm, I don't, I don't care about these other fools. I don't care about them. Well, what I'm saying is, if you, I mean, I keep giving this analogy. If you take a bunch of iron filings and you put it on a table, remember the old magnet, the horseshoe magnet, and you put that horseshoe magnet just at the edge of that uh, filings, and you pull it very slowly, you can pull all of them. Right? If you if you go too much into it, they become a clump. It's an art, and the goal here is, for example, what I want to do is I want to be a catalyst. You know, when I created the Systems Health Program, when I created your body, your system. I want to create tools so everyone here can become their own leader in their community, a systems revolutionary. So you can take fundamentally these principles. Wait a minute. There's a not so obvious establishment. That's a pretty powerful concept. There's the establishment and there's these people who fake the establishment. Wait a minute. Let's have a real discussion what racism is. That's a concept, right? Let's have a concept of, wait a minute. Why don't we boost our immune system? Because the immune system- (laughs) Well, Butar stole all my stuff and he's a Kennedy right wing. he's, He's a nut job, okay? Kennedy created him. Yeah, yeah, well, you should see the recent stuff that came out, okay? So remember, the establishment is a Kennedy's. They create after I started the Fire Fauci campaign, stuff went viral. Then suddenly, you know, after I started exposing Kennedy for being part of the establishment, suddenly this guy shows up, okay? So what I'm trying to say is you have to be very careful. But anyway, nonetheless, getting back to the central point, the issue is it's time to create a movement. And the movement has to be bottoms up. It's not going to come from top down the Kennedys, the celebrities, etc. If we're if we're going there, we're, we're always going to lose. It has to be bottoms up. And it has to so be based give me ideas for how the everyday person joins in on that movement. Right. So one thing is the, when we say truth, freedom, and health, one of the things everyday people need to understand is that without us fighting for freedom, which is open discourse, the right to have open conversations, digital rights, all of this, the game set matches over. Okay. So one of the tangible things that I've promoted, not only in my campaign, but long before that is the United States Postal Service was supposed to be the bulwark of the public commons for us to have communications in, in, it was mail, right? Yeah. When email came in 1997, it overtook postal mail. The postal service was supposed to provide us more digital uh, infrastructure, it's, it, which means the equivalent of email, uh, the equivalent of YouTube, the public commons, which maybe we pay 50 bucks. I don't know if you know, if you send a mail communication, anyone interferes, it's a 22 year sentence in prison. When Facebook and Google came, the Postal Service basically didn't do their job. We should be having a public infrastructure. You can use Facebook, you can just like you can use FedEx. So we as everyday people need to recognize that we have lost our freedom the day that we signed up for free email, okay? Or free Facebook. The First Amendment has been violated. We don't have any infrastructure. So imagine if the Postal service offered us the equivalent of Gmail, equivalent of YouTube, Facebook, but it's protected by the laws of the United States. The, The postal service is not just postal mail. They were supposed to protect our public communications infrastructure and they haven't done their job. That's an example of what everyday people should fight for. Number two, we're not gonna get anywhere on climate change issues, gun violence, all these issues, as long as we have a finite set of academic elites who are the fake news behind fake news because academia, your money, my money, everyone's money, billions of dollars goes into academic research. Academia is no longer science anymore. It's pay to play. So what's happened is because of academia is that they can create whatever they want. They're the fake news behind fake news. I call it fake science. So the way out of that is we need to have citizen science. This is something everyday people need to know that when we fund research in any public institution, University of Minnesota, right, MIT, that data is our data. We should have access to that data. Ask anyone, any common person, can you get the change of the climate change data? Where is it? No one can find it, it's nowhere to be found. A lot of us are smart, a lot of people. Number three, healthcare cannot be centralized. It has to be decentralized back to you with a relationship with your local practitioner. We we can never have top-down medicine. It's never gonna work. That's why you have top-down vaccines. And then you have the liberal Democrats who say, oh, don't worry about that. I wanna protect your safety, let me regulate it. And that brings power back to the state. So that's when I say truth, freedom, and health. These are very powerful, but simple concepts. We must have freedom, digital rights in the modern day world. We must have truth, citizen science. The data should be owned by us and we must have health which must be health, must be decentralized. Each one of us needs to start taking responsibility for our health. And the solution for that is there's a bunch of middlemen who have been created, which own about a half a trillion of the healthcare pipeline. So I hope that answers your question, but I think the bottom line is at the local level, we need to have people starting to organize in their local communities and recognize that people should be starting to build movements, bottoms up, protecting their small local entrepreneurs, protecting their local businesses. No one should be able to shut down any business again in any sector. This is one of the things that I want to put forward. Unless 67% of people, let's say nail salon, say, yeah, we should be shut down. Yeah. No government should be able to shut down any business. This is crazy. And the reason it was done is because we got it. There's so I. What I would say is all those videos that I have. If you want me to make smaller versions of them, I can. Like the reason it was done is there is a fake economy, brought to you by China Inc, which is running the United States economy, which is a bogus economy. We don't make anything. And the exactly. Yep. Yeah, that's why I believe we have about 120 days, which is for the, this 2020. We literally are, in my view, we're at war between freedom versus lies, between truth, you know, truth versus lies, freedom versus censorship, and health versus a weakened immune system. It's that simple, and it's it's like you believe in freedom, you believe in boosting your own immune system to protect yourself, because that's where all health comes from. And you believe in, in truth. And it, this is where the fight is. And everyone needs to recognize that we don't need everyone. We need to get that 20% moving. So, my, my, my suggestion is find the 20% in your community. Let's build a network of those 20%, and we're going to win. Amen. So, thank you. Okay, thank you. Well, let's get all the 20%. And we we can live in a parallel universe if we need to. Worst case. Okay, thank you. Okay, I'm going to take one more call. Jen, do we have to start that other thing? Oh, she's there. Hey, Jen, are we starting that other thing or no? Jen, do we have to start our other thing?
1: If you're available, but okay. we'll do it. Yeah.
0: Okay. Hello, Caldwell, New Jersey. How are you? I used to live in uh, Livingston and Patterson. Good to hear from you. Hello? Hello? Oh, good. Why don't you take a couple of seconds to say who you are and what your question is? Yeah, can you turn down the volume in the background? Because that's coming through. Go ahead. So my, my name is Brian, and I'm calling
1: from Togo, New Jersey. And uh, uh, you know, I'm from Peru, originally South America, Peru. And uh, I just want to say something real quick. You know that uh, we have this. I mean, you are an engineer, a systems approach engineer, and thinker. And I don't
0: know if you're familiar with Buckminster uh, Fuller. Yeah, yeah, great, great guy. I have, I have a bunch of his books. Yeah, I love him. Exactly. I, I have read his books
1: and I've with all you're talking about. And it's amazing how today we do have all the technology to elevate ourselves, I mean, as a civilization to the next level, but we are held back by the system we live after, you know, the, and held back by precisely the, uh, the, the big state you were talking about. I was wondering if, I just wanted to suggest real quick, I mean, the, everything I'm saying, I'm sure you already know about that. There's a movie that talks about all this stuff about Mr. Fuller and is
0: expressed in 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 a nutshell and this movie is called Zeitgeist Addendum. I highly recommend it. You and the chance, please, watch it. Zeitgeist. Yeah, so it's Zeitgeist? Yeah, Zeitgeist Addendum. Addendum? Yeah, Addendum. You, you can watch it free and you too. Okay, so, so everyone, uh, this is interesting. Well, anyway, thank you. Zeitgeist Addendum. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I think the best thing you should do, everyone who's listening should start. I want to create a worldwide team of truth, freedom, and health warriors. And the way you begin that is you got to take a systems approach. So get system and revolution. And again, if you can't afford it, ask for a scholarship. We've made it for nothing. Get your body, your system. So you can start understanding the systems principles because my goal is to not have followers. My goal is to be a catalyst to create millions of leaders who in their own communities can take systems thinking and take it native and figure out what the right way to apply it is. That's really the goal here. So that's why, you know, long before I decided to run for Senate, you know, when we start, by the way, if people, I forgot, um, Jen just said, I should show you guys this. Let me go here. If we go to, Am I here? Yeah. Let me go to a cool website. When you guys get a chance, go to systemshealth.com. You know, when I got back from um, finishing my PhD, I went back to India. I'll bring this up. I went back to India, and I figured out what the traditional systems of medicine were. I came back to MIT, and I built a course um, called Systems Health. You know, 300, 400 people would show up uh, on a night, you know, people of all different backgrounds hardcore MDs, engineers, uh, yoga teachers. And I ended up making that into a course. Let me show it to you. If you guys go here, it's called systemshealth.com. And I ended up creating a program, a student program, where you can actually understand, it's an online university. You can take these six courses, you can understand systems thinking. This is separate from the systems and revolution. And then I created a whole educator program where I've created a online capability where everyone can literally create their own universities. And so you can take this out to everyone else. You don't have to do it, but my goal was to use online capabilities. Oops, let me show it to you, I didn't share that. Here we go. Um, where everyone here can go to System Health and it's literally a unique training program. You, I don't care what your background is, you can be anything, you know? But I can teach you you know, 30, 40 years of MIT concepts on systems theory in literally about 20 hours. So you take the systems theory course, I can teach you systems biology. But once you do that, I actually give you a portal where you can educate others. And my model is learn, teach, and serve. Learn, teach, and serve. And my intention in all of this is to create, you know, thousands of people all over the world who actually can uh, create a world where you can become teachers of system thinking. Because my view is once people understand principles of systems, it's sort of game set is over for the deep state because we're gonna have people who are not gonna be confused. So when you take an issue like racism, the analysis I took through was a systems analysis. It's not left, it's not right. It's going down to the central analysis of what is racism or what is climate change. When I came out against the Paris Accords, people said, oh, he's a right winger, he supports Trump. Well, it wasn't because the Paris Accords increased pollution. When I came out against Monsanto, people said, oh, he's a left winger. And that's what's happened. But if we take a systems approach, you can always find the truth because you're interconnecting the parts and truth emerges. So thank you for reminding me of Buckminster Fuller. Okay, one last question. Massachusetts, who's this? Hey Keith, what do you got? One question.
1: <laughs> okay, um, I was thinking about all the rides and stuff going on. Um, and it's kind of going out throughout the states now. And the one word we haven't had mentioned um, is the word antifa. And I, I did research really on what antifa was, and it started like in the nineteen twenties.
0: And for, um, so I don't have on that. Yeah, let me let me talk about that. It's it's a great way to end. But thanks a lot, Keith is one of our awesome volunteers. Keith, Keith is a uh, Keith, Keith drives trucks. He's a truck driver. He does a great video. But th- Keith, thanks a lot. He's from Athol, Mass. Thanks, Keith. Yep. Look. Yeah. Um, I think this is sort of a way to close this meeting out. If you go back to the foundations of what's going on, right? Um, the establishment never wants to solve racism. Get Everyone should get that clear. They never want to solve racism. They want riots. They want blacks and whites fighting against each other. They never want us to go to the real racism. They never want us to go to the real issue of climate, which is pollution. They never want us to go to the real issue of gun violence. Okay? They never want us to go to the real issue of medicine, which is boosting the immune system. They have the pro-vax, anti-vax people all day long. Okay? It's about boosting the immune system. They never want us to go to the fundamental issues. They always want some other issue. So we're squabbling while they're consolidating power. That's what the talk is about today. They love having Antifa. They love ha- they love the TV showing that guy the the knee on the head. Oh my God! Oh my God! And we all get upset, which is quite deplorable. Mm-hmm. They want to generate emotions in us. You know, it's like uh, the anti vaxxist movie Vaxxed. You know, they show people being horribly injured, but they never want to talk about the solution because those same nonprofits are making money off that. It's like when I came from India here, I'd see the bloated babies in Africa. They don't wanna solve poverty. They don't wanna solve breast cancer, the left or the right. They wanna perpetuate it and they wanna act like they're gonna solve it. If we go to the real issue in any one of these things, you'll find out that the establishment wants to have chaos and they will do it in whatever way they can, either implicitly or explicitly drive it. They will let stuff happen. Because if they truly cared about racism, the Civil Rights Act would have talked about building infrastructure and they didn't. They had a nice speech on the Washington Mall. They had the Kennedys be you know, promoted as they're the fighters against this and that, okay? We never built infrastructure in inner cities. That was a real problem and the real solution. We wanted to have segregation They created poor whites, poor blacks, have them fighting because they need a poor workforce to do the jobs that they want to pay lower wages on. They bring in illegal immigration because they want to create the dialectic because those very wealthy Hollywood liberal elites need those poor people to pick all their organic or their pesticide ridden fruits. Okay, You have to follow the money. And we need to follow the money, and what we will always come to is the truth when you follow the money and you connect the dots. Yeah, Antifa may be a arm of Soros. Definitely sounds, when you follow the money, it makes a lot of sense. But you also can't uh, also figure out that people like Barack Obama and the blacks in power never ever wanted to solve the infrastructure issue. When my dad came from from the United States, he was in Chicago, he went to Maxwell Street, you saw people living, you know, like how we saw people in the villages. They never solved these issues. You have black people shooting at each other, right, Richard? Barack Obama didn't solve that. They don't wanna solve these issues because they wanna perpetuate racism. They need people in their boxes so they can hold up, Hollywood can hold up images. And the only people are gonna solve racism, and I'll end on this, is working people the only people of an interest in solving racism is us,
1: mm-hmm.
0: not them. Yeah. They have no interest in solving racism. They need racism. They thrive on racism. The fake economy needs racism. They need people on subsidies. And so they must have racism as a weapon they can use to destroy small businesses, to destroy independent thinkers, etc. That's what it's about. So it's time for us to rise up, bottoms up, interconnect, and win, win, win. We have to win truth, freedom, and health. Massachusetts is the center of the deep state. We got to win here, and that's what it's about. Winning here will be a huge victory. So everyone, um, volunteer, whatever you can. Uh, support the our campaign. It's not a campaign for U.S. Senate. It's a campaign for truth, freedom, and health.
1: That's right.
0: Okay. Anyway, thank you everyone. Uh, I'm sorry I was a little bit away for a couple of days. I will be doing a talk on colloidal silver tomorrow. Okay. It is coming. We have a really good talk on colloidal silver. We put this stuff together. Um, and to those of you who are interested, that is coming. Uh, and I will be doing more science talks. By the way, those of you who are out there, if you belong to some local groups, you know, please uh, go to uh, Shiva for Senate or VA Shiva. Uh, dot com slash contact and write to me because I'm I want to do town halls with groups if you're part of some very interesting groups we can do in town in Massachusetts or nationally okay. okay um to talk about issues like we have a, a group of four thousand chiropractors I'm going to be doing a talk to maybe you're a group of um you know libertarian people maybe you're you belong to interesting groups I'd love to uh, talk about immune boosting things to your local groups because Immune boosting is a very powerful tool we all can use in our communities. Let's take health into our own hands, learn how to boost our immune system for truth, freedom, and health. So if you want me to do that, please email me at vashiva.com vasiva at or go to Shiva for Senate. Or you can go to my personal site, vashiva.com slash contact and let me know that you want to set up uh, one of our interviews and we can do that. Anyway, thank you, everyone. Be well. Michelle, Richard, thanks. Thanks a lot, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jen.